The woman I love is living with a horny little podcast that looks like me. What a lucky girl. She's more swoony when she says it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've only seen this movie once. You're making what? I don't what? What do you mean what? Like you I don't, don't know I don't know who I am. This when is, TNT on, on. when TNT does their annual April 1st 24 hours of monkey bone marathon, uh-huh. you're telling me you don't tune in? I finished Big Watch number seven before coming in, so I it's kind of fresh still. You never did the annual Boxing Day watch of Monkey Bone with your family? Are we recording or not? What's going yes. on? This yeah, is okay. the episode. Let's go. The episode's happening. David, we're confused that you don't know every scene of Monkey Bone backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. It's Monkey Bone. It's Monkey Bone. <laughs> it's Monkey Bone. Have we begun the episode or not? Yes. Yes. This is the episode. This is the episode. This is so bad. No. What's bad is you don't know Monkey Bone. Griff didn't even <laughs> say the rest of the line. He didn't say the end of the dialogue. That's the end of the dialogue. Wait, what What a lucky girl? There's nothing else? That's the cut joke. To, cut to. Wait, yeah. why did I? Wait, why did I have to say anything at all then? Your thing was fine. Because it's funny. It's a punchline. But I don't know. Oh my God. It's a funny so punchline. What a, a lucky podcast line. doesn't make sense. What's funny is my the girl I love is it, it, living with a horny little podcast. You go, what a lucky right. girl. The reverse is, and to anyone else, that sounds terrible. To Kitty in downtown? Yeah. That's the sounds thing. lucky. I swear, I watched this movie yesterday, and I think you, I don't know what any of you are talking about. This is the <laughs> stickiest movie ever made. I can't believe you forgot a frame of it. <laughs> I'm not like Justin watching it seven times. You're kidding, right? You're kidding. It's a joke. He's no. not kidding. Why would he? I have a couple of times. A couple of those have been more of a watch at, kind of let it wash over me. <laughs> yeah, what? just sort of an ambient watch. Ambient. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every time though, I see something new, and that's because yeah. it's really hard not to zone out while you're watching. It's hard to stay in the like frontal brain with this mm. movie where you're like dialed in and engaged with it. But if it's ambient, it's perfect. Right, because that like that would be like staring at the sun or whatever. You would just, if you lock into this movie too hard, you will yeah. give yourself brain freeze or something. Yeah. You'll just be like, ah, my teeth hurt. I, I have found, Justin, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I have found in my experience that sometimes you watch Monkey Bone and sometimes Monkey Bone watches you. I saw Monkey Bone four times before I, uh, yeah, I, I watched Monkey Bone four times. <laughs> The last three times I saw Monkey Bone. Does that make sense? <laughs> that makes sense. It's that. I didn't watch Monkey Bone. I sat my da- ass down and, and listened to Monkey Bone. You didn't look at much. You missed a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'd say it's a pretty <laughs> visual movie. <laughs> I sat my ass down and listened. That's all, okay? I think some of the weirdest shit happening in this movie arguably is. Is visual? Is it what yeah. you say? <laughs> yeah. Although there's some, there's some audio. There's some weird some audio. audio. Yeah. yeah, there's some great lines like "What a lucky girl." Um, probably my favorite line. If I had to pull a lo- yeah. favorite line is mm-hmm. uh, M- "Monkey Bone" as Brendan Fraser as Stu Miley uh, when he announces to a crowd, "Ignore the man with the purple face, ignore the naked man with a purple face," and then that there's a rim funny. shot, and then yes. the whole audience laughs. And it's like, "What is it? Is there a okay? Yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, the, the charisma." On display here, but he's just really dialed into it. You know what Foley in the purple makeup reminded me of? Uh, what? Uh, Giamatti in the blue makeup in oh, Big Fat Liar. Big Fat yeah. Liar. Sim- similar time, similar, 
you know, yeah. kind of gag, basically. Yeah. It was it was that era. Do you know that there was a bigger, fatter liar that was oh, a directed video movie? Only in the last like year or two where Barry Bostwick gets gets his face all blued, I believe. Barry he oh, uh, I, I I'm here to tell you that he actually got uh white faced. It's uh, quite alarming. I'm looking at it right now. Okay, let me look it if up. You, if you if okay. you Google it, it's uh, it's uh, it's distressing. 2017. Uh, yeah, and it looks like they initially went with bigger, fatter liar, but then there was a video attempt to make it just big, fat liar too. They maybe realized. Oh, that, that uh, is horrid. Uh, that it, is. It, it, he looks like horrid. the grudge. <laughs> Are you looking at this box art? Are you looking at this box art yeah. with him in the? Holy God! Right? Doesn't he look like a Japanese ghost of like mythic lore? From like, it looks like you know, bigger, fatter grudge. Time. Yes. But let's also say the the proportions of this are odd because he's in he's in the back seat. He's like facing out the rear window of a car. Yeah. And the license plate on the back of the car says "Game On" with an exclamation point. Yes. Which and is the not license really... plate. No. Uh, have to do anything with lies, but sure, yes. No, and and the license plate is wider than he is with full outstretched arms. It is the world's <laughs> it's a big longest license. Lic- either he's tiny or the license plate is it humongous. Is, what's wild is this, like the the cover of Big Fat Liar One mm-hmm. is them in shades looking at the camera with a blue Paul Giamatti. It is a visual reference to a movie that came out 15 years prior. Yes. That yes. wasn't that big of a deal when it was released. Yeah. And it wasn't, right. It wasn't really a big thing. Oh, was it Sean Levy? Did I know that? It was his first movie. Wow. That's how he yeah. got started. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I just imagine the meeting where they're like, look, we'll call it Bigger, Fatter, Liar. We'll make sure the poster is them peeking over their sunglasses while an older person is is humiliated behind them. This thing's going to make $50 million. We're going to be fine. Like, you know, that they're just assuring themselves. The poster will be enough. Oh, Jesus yeah, yeah. Christ. I just looked oh, it ben up. Just yeah, yeah it's rough. Just yeah. He looks like a melted Ronald Reagan mask. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like halloween Yeah, it's like, yeah, perfect. You know what I'd say he looks like? He looks like one of these wacky denizens from downtown. All right. Okay. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you're Thank right. you. Thank you. Hey, listen. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who are experienced massive success early on in their careers Ooh, and are given a series of blank checks. I'm Rusty. This is the first time recording in a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, massive success early in their careers. They're given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce, baby. And sometimes they make just a, a, a wildly normal film. Yeah, I mean, that is my beef with Monkey Bone. It's yeah. It's just, it's so generic. You couldn't show up to work, Henry. You just want to cash in the checks. Yeah, Anybody exactly. could have made this flick. Anybody. <laughs> this, is, this is a rote by the numbers programmer called monkey bone it's a mini series we're doing called ben hosley's the pod mayor before Casmus. there you go and today we're talking about monkey bone his only live action film and by all accounts i don't think he will ever try to do this ever again yeah i mean of course james in the giant peach has some some mm-hmm. live action elements uh and this has some animated elements but this yeah. is a live action film a black comedy fantasy 
that made, I'm checking here, $480 million at the box office and won four Oscars. Yes, uh-huh. right. Is that That's domestic right. or domestic? Dom- domestic, domestic. Dome- That's opening weekend, Justin. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, and sparked, uh, you know, a multimedia franchise that continues to this day. Yeah. You stop any person on the street and you say, monkey bone, then they'll, of course, reply to you with uh, whatever. They'll just shout, Fonda! Well, the classic. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, one well, of the classic lines. Show me the monkey. What a lucky girl. It's his world. We just live in it. Hey, Super Yaki made shirts of that. It does feel like four years later, part of the atomic disaster of this movie's theatrical release would have been hearing that Fox like scuttled plans for an open world online community where people could join Dark World. Yeah, right. They like were, you're they joking were... about it being a multimedia franchise. A couple years later, they would have pinned way too much on this movie. Our, our, we sunk $20 million into a monkey bone ARG. Yes. We're screwed. My, my Zoom Turturro's background has very... been in the booth for a month <laughs> recording narration. <laughs> He's so mad at us. My Zoom background is very blurry because I, uh, you might be surprised here, I couldn't find any higher res pictures. Mm. This was a display from, I believe, the 2000 International Toy Fair where they were really <laughs> bullish on the idea of monkey bone merchandise. Would you believe that most of this never hit shelves? What? what? Huh? Did, ha, ha, I just have to assume, and I say this as someone who basically enjoyed watching this movie. Yeah. They had not seen Monkey Bone, right? <laughs> like when they when they were like, "Let's go all in on Monkey Bone." Great toys, question, right? Yeah, I wish. I wish if I could have seen Monkey Bone one more time, it would yeah. have been the first time that John Turturro saw it, sitting next to John Turturro, because the amount of faith <laughs> John Turturro in the booth has these lines that are, I mean, incomprehensible. He has to sing a song about how Julie has a loose caboose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he has to de- there's a, he has to debase himself in all manner of fashion, and he had to in his head be like calling his agent like John, trust me on this one. It's gonna be- <laughs> this guy's right. a genius. Once you see it all on the screen, it's really gonna gel. Wait, he's the voice of Monkey Bone. John, I didn't, look, I didn't look this up. No, are yeah. you fucking yes. serious? Yeah, oh maybe that is guys. If a talent has been wasted in a more <laughs> fantastical <laughs> fashion, I, I really, I, I'm sure you guys can come up with some examples. But this one hurts because I, I like yeah. John Turturro a lot, and this is brutal. I know we're going to talk about this, you know, the development and the failure of this film and the the, sure. the the plotting within it. But can I just is this the end, Griffin, mm-hmm. of that '90s? How do we define it? The aesthetic. It's like Rocco's Modern Life or Far Side, where hmm. it's like I'm that weird mix of like, I don't know, tiki bar and like sort of fifties throwback. I'm wearing right. like a it's swing like culture with like, with like a cow print like, on it, you know, and I'm wearing like a gas station attendant jacket, like you know, like you know that is this is the end of that, right? How do you define that whole nineties vibe? Yeah. You know, like fucking the Drew Carey show, the Drew Carey show that, oh, right. I mean, Pee Wee's Playhouse, like all, right. uh, Wayne White's stuff in there. Yeah. The, and that Pee Wee's and Gary Larson and all that. That's, that's when it's like, everyone's like more of this. We love it. Is monkey bone. Like the last gap. Right. You're like the, the Southwestern. Yeah. Retro kitsch pop Burn surrealism. Out, like, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Slide guitar. <laughs> How do you define that big ball of wax where it was like men can dress like this and behave yeah. this way? Right. And they should not immediately just be like ostracized for it. And comics with an X. <laughs> yes, comics with an X. Yes. 
<laughs> Thank you. I mean, looking behind you, the black and yeah. white check. Yes. You know, that, you know, which is very Burton-y, right? That yes. very throwback, you know, that, that. This is no, it, but, right? After this, they were right. like, no, we all it's listen no to more. propeller heads now. We're on prescription drugs. Okay. <laughs> we wear leather and sunglasses. I'm going to put forward a theory, but I, I do think you're right. It's like all of these things. It's like swing revival, yes. ska, mm-hmm. 50s diner culture. Yes, yes, yes. Tiki bars, the What's Mojave the guy from Desert. Ellen? Who's the guy from Ellen? The kind of the, the big guy with the glasses. Oh, oh fuck. You Pull know who up. I'm talking about. I do, yes. You know, Ellen, she had all her friends, right? She had Jeremy yes. Piven and Air Gross and Maggie Wheeler, whatever, jo- Jolie Fisher. Right. And, oh, David Anthony Higgins, that guy. Oh, yes, yes. That guy. He yes. was on Malcolm in the Middle and he was on Ellen. I love him. I got no beef with him. He seems like a great guy. A human embodiment a of, of what guy. you're talking about. Yes. 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 Okay, Sorry. here's Sorry. here's my theory. Monkey Bone, much delayed, long in the works, ends up coming out February 2001. Is that correct? Correct. correct. Yes. Uh, was, but I think it was, it was originally supposed to come out early dumped. 2000. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Starts production in 99. This is basically Fraser's immediate mummy follow-up uh well the mummy is 99 uh, you mean like in terms of what he made probably yes yeah, yeah yeah i like i would not be surprised if he's wrapped on filming this before mummy returns even films which obviously comes out a couple months after this well it, it's it bedazzled is the other one yeah we'll talk about okay. that's the other one in between mummy and mummy returns similar right. vibes to this movie just more uh, commercial minded and yes. and two other ones you're forgetting two other ones Dudley Do Right and Blast from the Past we don't, we don't talk about Dudley Do Right the Blast from the Past is before the mummy what about George of the Jungle that's before. before the mummy before yeah. the okay mummy. you have a dossier is there do you have a sense of whether or not Brendan Fraser was a Henry Selleck pick or it was sort of foisted on him by the studio Justin we are going to get into this okay good I haven't looked up anything outside of the work I'm just the art, the work, the art and watching it seven times. Let's say that our guest today is not Dr. Julie McElroy. No, but we didn't even realize how well we booked this guest. I am married to a blonde woman named Dr. McElroy, but I am not smiley. And your, your name is Jay McElroy. This is true. That's yes, that's true. The connections are all there, but it's Justin McElroy. Yeah. Hey, triumphantly returning to the show. Justin McElroy sending the classic, hey, can I come back on the show text? And met with the immediate reply, you ever heard of Monkey Bone? (laughs) I didn't get a movie last time. I got the rare movie so good, you had to pair it with another non-movie to have an episode of your podcast. Those are the two movies that I got. You uh, got a uh, Citizens Band and Citizens Last Band. Embrace. Last yes, Embrace, right. such a hit film that I was, I, I saw the release on the exclusive uh, Google Drive platform <laughs> where someone had kindly uploaded it for me right. to enjoy. That, that was streaming on on uh, Google Drive for you on like <laughs> yes. Google Drive. Yeah. Uh, so non-movie. So I said, please, you gotta, you gotta bring it back with a real movie. And I will, you can say a lot of things about Monkey Bone. It is a movie. You it's, can it's, watch it's, it. It's, no a, it's a fucking movie, all right. Yeah. That's for sure. It, it is just, your text was truly, can I please, I love you guys. I was grateful to be on. 
I would love to come back. Can I please come back and do a real movie? And Dave and I stroke our chins for five seconds, turn to each other and go, monkey bone. It was, we, we didn't give you options. It wasn't a question. We said, this feels like a monkey bone. Uh, nothing feels like a monkey bone. Um, I Yeah, I, so I watched and I had the, the, I thought it would be funny to watch it multiple times, but I didn't yeah. really want to fall through on that until I watched it one time. And it's like, I don't know what it is, but it is, I kept my brain, the brain loves puzzles, the brain, mm. brain loves patterns, right? And I'm mm -hmm. watching it, trying to reason it into patterns and puzzles that I can like make sense of. And I've watched it seven times now. I can't, it's not there. Like the, the layer below where it's like, it all kind of makes it, there's individual bits that I appreciate more than others, but like, I still don't. It, it's not there. It feels like it should mean something, a lot of it, but it's just, it doesn't <laughs> trust me. You're, like, you're not kidding. You truly have watched this seven times now? Yeah, I watched it seven times. <laughs> That's a lot of times. Yeah, I watched it seven times. I wanted to be the person who's seen Monkey Bone more than anybody else, right? Because I figure you're probably like nobody, I, there. <laughs> you're, yeah. You might have been probably somebody at the bouncing. <laughs> I've got to be in the run. Like, all right, yeah. it's got to be up there. Did you buy it on iTunes or whatever? No, Dave, I rent it every time I want to watch it. <laughs> I'm not a maniac. I just watched Monkey Bone seven times. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not uh, wasting my cash. I mean, I made the investment. I'm just, I'm just worried you're on a watch list or something. It's like a, someone keeps watching Monkey Bone. There, <laughs> this is not right. <laughs> like, I will can say, we dispatch takes, a drone at the very least? It takes a long time for the Apple TV autocomplete to be like, do you want to watch Monkey Bone? Are you really mean Monkey Bone? I got to Monkey and it was giving me like uh, that Rene Russo <laughs> flick, Buddy. It's like, did you want to watch Buddy? That would make more sense. <laughs> do you want to watch Monkey Business? Where the little girl has a monkey? Hey, come on, do you want to watch please, Dunstan checks anything, in? Anything. Come on. Get a Dunstan. Get a Dunstan real quick. Bust out a Dunstan. Don't watch Monkey Boat again, J-Man. You were attempting to do multiple rental transactions within the original 48-hour window, and it's like, dude, you don't need to pay us again. <laughs> you already have it. It starts to subtweet you. It's like, you know, movies with a three-act structure, you know, certain <laughs> fear instead of... <laughs> You sure you want monkey bones? <laughs> oh, movies with directors who are proud of it. Right, right. You click rent and then like Brendan Fraser, a video of him just appears being like, hi, uh, I'm Brendan Fraser. I'm the star of a lot of good movies. School Ties. You, you want to see that? That's a good one. I even, I picture it being like an, an earnest, somber address where he's like, look, first of all, I want to thank everyone. This groundswell of love and support reclamation of my early career recently has been so touching. Obviously, I know I'm receiving the best reviews of my career. I'm Oscar tip for the first time. There's an impulse to go back and rewatch the old work. You don't need to rewatch all of it. Yeah, not all of it. I, I, do you think he has gotten a residual check it, 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 from and like, what is this? Somebody's been. You're repeatedly right. buying and watching <laughs> monkey bone it's from like a bank that's that went under years ago <laughs> it's like what the fuck this this is uh, uh, cold cash what <laughs> this is like cash. the rare example of a movie that i think truly never ever went into profit oh no 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 no, no money what? has been made from can't imagine bone. no no, and this is like at a DVD boom years where like even when movies flopped, you're like, but you know what? Five years later, it broke even on DVD. 
did you all, before you watched it or had any sense of it, did you, because this was my like, suspic- did, did it have the vibe of like, maybe this is like a secret cult. Like maybe this is great. Like on, on yes. repeated view, like further viewing, like maybe this is like begging for a reclamation project where everybody's like revisits monkey bond. Yeah, no, when we ordered this to series, the Selleck Mini Griff. Yes. Th- I mean, we, this g- is we the, gave it a five episode order. This yeah. is why. Because like there's always it's always exciting when there's the director with that project where you're like, monkey bone, huh? No one's seen that. It's not yes. normal bad, that's for sure. It's either really interesting bad or secretly good. Or right. uh, combo. You know, often the answer is combo. Combo good bad, right? Um this is one of those movies that it came out when I was 14 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it starred Brendan Fraser, who I fucking loved at yeah. the height of his powers. One it of your favorite by, movie stars at that time, I have to imagine. At that time, exactly. It is directed by Henry Selleck, who is a 14-year-old I knew and was interested by, mm-hmm. right? It had an aesthetic, and it was rated 12, so I could see it. Mm-hmm. It's not a grown-ups movie. That I did not see this film in theaters is a testimony Astounding. to either, well, how badly it was received and how quickly it disappeared. Both, both. I've never seen it uh, because it's like, you know, it's been hard to even think about Monkey Bone. David, maybe you can help me with this because uh, I, I feel like I, I said a similar thing about another movie on the podcast recently, although who knows how recent recent actually is. But this is a movie where I was not undeterred. I was not deterred by any of the negative press or bad reviews for this movie. I made my father take me to see it as a twelve-year-old yeah. on a Saturday I afternoon. I would imagine that, right? Right. Yeah. I I think even my brother Jamesy tapped out. It was usually you know weekend movie with the boys, and James was like, "I would rather play Nintendo sixty-four." Um, we go to see this, and I was like, "Good, good." I don't know what all the critics are talking about. Good. Yeah, because your brain was probably like a million alarm clocks going off at once. This is what I'm saying. Quieted the noise. This is what I'm saying. Screaming for a second. There is some other recent movie where I said this, where like as a child, as a young adult, I watch it and I was like, good and normal. Why don't people like this? Makes sense to me. Makes (laughs) sense. Exactly. And then rewatching it it now, I'm like, look, I have an affinity for this movie, but it is insane that I ever thought this thing was clean. It's so funny. Tracked from beginning to end. But that's, because that's right. I mean, yeah, like, and there probably weren't, the, yeah, what's another movie? You're saying what was another movie that There's you had that There's another one where I was like, why do people not like this? And, and re-watching it, I realized I completely understand why everyone dislikes this. Uh, well, we can think about it, maybe. Yeah. It was a Raimi? I don't, I don't know. But like, maybe. I, I know, know what you mean in terms of like, the only mind that could completely lock into this movie is the mind of a hyperactive preteen maybe yeah. like maybe they could sit down and watch it and just be like yeah yeah, yeah this flows yeah this is, uh, and, and I this is how i look at things yeah i was at the exact fulcrum age preteen is key because it's like you need the weird infusion of like fox ribald sex comedy yes i was yeah this movie's relationship to sex is not uh how should we say mature no but <laughs> you're just but like there you, you understand that there's like you know, the executive notes are like, this has to function in some way on some Fairly-esque level. Like, that's the zone we're playing in in studio comedies at the time, right? Yeah. 
either you're doing like super broad, magical Chris Columbus family comedy, which Columbus is inexplicably a producer on this movie, or you're doing like sort of gross out sex, boys will be boys comedy. It's so strange because it, at the beginning, like the very opening sequence is this animated bit. It's supposed to be from the Monkey Bone cartoon series. Yes. And the way it approaches sex is like, it makes it feel like one of those like alt comic, like we're going to take sex out. We're going to talk about it. We're, we're not, a sh you know, we're going to openly discuss how I was turned on by the, my, my uh, elderly teacher's arm flaps. And I couldn't keep my boner under control and it became monkey bone and it just got ordered to six episodes. And right. it then spins the rest of the movie like recoiling from sex in like, a, like it's terrified of it. Like it, the last, bit. there is the most disturbing shot of the movie, which has many for me, yeah. is Bridget Fonda wrapping her robe in an attempt to seduce uh, Stu, wrapping her robe around him in a seduction move no one's ever attempted uh, in throughout history, I would imagine, because it seems so like sort of afraid of of sex. It doesn't it's like revisit unerotic. that. It's yeah. It's, it is that whole sequence uh, uh, is profoundly, profoundly unerotic. Like if I was on a date with you, Griffin, and you were like, you know what movie really kind of like opened me up in terms of like me coming to terms of sexuality is Monkey Bone. I'd be like, I I gotta go. I gotta. I can't spend another minute here. This reminds me of when you, Ben, and I went to see Brewster McCloud at uh, the Metrograph. And at like, you know, I've been friends with you guys for a while. You've heard me talk about it being my favorite movie. You're a big Altman fan. And then the movie, the lights come up and you turn to me and you go, that checks out. <laughs> and I was like, what? And you were like, it just... All of it, the weird sex stuff. Yeah, yeah, that makes it, sense. I, think for I was you. mostly thinking about the sex stuff, especially. Yes, yeah, that movie's approach to sex. That movie's approach to sex tracks with my personality. If my approach to sex was monkey bone, it would be the world's biggest red flag. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. This is the smell of a warm, three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! <sighs> And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. I feel like we've talked about this, but 1990. Eight is something about Mary, right? Which is like a big shift in studio comedy. That it becomes has come the, in it. It has come in it. It's like you cannot believe they're putting these things on screen. It basically becomes the like you can do a mainstream comedy with John Waters qualities. This can play in malls. Yes. Like your mom goes to see it and is embarrassed she's laughing rather than this being a thing that has to play in like a seedy art house theater. 
And then that continues on to like American Pie. Now it's done through like the teen guys. You're bringing back the teen comedy. It becomes hypersexual. And all these movies start to have to do this like Rube Goldberg construction of like, what's the craziest visual gag? What can end up in the wrong place? You know, how can someone do this here and be seen by that or whatever it is? Which I'd say basically like 40-year-old virgin is... Apatow and Corell knowing they can get a movie sold if the premise is sexual. And then when that movie works, the shift goes back to like, oh, it's like a dirty language rom-com rather than it needing to be so visually sexually explicit. Mm -hmm. But to what you're talking about, Justin, the biggest thing with that era is so many of those comedies at this time where like sex was so overt in all the biggest films seem A, terrified of sex and B, seem exclusively written, directed, and performed by people who have never, ever had sex. Yes. There's like a weird balance of like explicit and prudish. Yeah. Sex is like terrifying. This movie is horrified by, by the horrified. idea of sex. So much so that the fact that he would be aroused is treated as like a, this is, a, is he has to other it as like an other B. Oh, no, that. That's the part of me that is aroused. So I've yeah. turned it into its own being that I'll attempt to choke throughout the film. Yes, it's it's so it's so bizarre. But yeah, no, you think this thing starts out and you're like, okay, is this guy like Johnny Ryan? Is this guy gonna like push the line on everything? Is this whole movie gonna live in his fucked up head? And it's like, eh, kind of. I know. You can't really, if you watch any part of this and think, is the rest of the movie like this? The answer is no. <laughs> and yes, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. There's no point in the movie where it's like, okay, and now the stakes are laid out and everything is clear. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can, you're not like half an hour in like, all right, all right, I get it. I get it. Now we're here and the goal is this. That's right. never that's never the case in Monkey Bone. There's right. also, it's, it's like, it's one of these movies where the fun thing to do is just describe a solitary moment to someone who hasn't seen this. Where you're like, I just need you to understand that at one point in this movie, Brendan Fraser is in the giant hand of a mech suit being piloted by Whoopi Goldberg as death itself in the middle of a city that in and of itself exists in the palm of a hand. She asks him to stick his tush out so she can flick him so hard on the butt that he flies into the sky where a giant Abraham Lincoln bust's mouth opens up. He flies through it and back into the body of a gymnast corpse. My, uh, my wife came home from work uh, in the middle of viewing Seven just before we started. Or I guess that's said, when he's going back into his own body. Sorry. What yes, I on. didn't want to correct you, but... Thank you. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, I've only seen Monkey Bone three times. She said, is that Brendan Fraser? Is he singing Brick House? I said, well, sort of. See, <laughs> that's actually John Turturro's character Monkey Bone inhabiting the body of Brendan Fraser singing Brick House. She said, well, where is, where's Brendan Fraser? I said, well, his soul's with Stephen King, but his he's about to move into the body of Chris Kattan, and then the two of them are going to fight. Who do you root for? Neither? Both? <laughs> I don't know. No, kind of. Death. You're rooting for death. Like, yeah. And I don't mean the character played by Whoopi Goldberg. For your own I mean, death. Uh, yes, the sweet embrace of, of the abyss. Yeah. And then she looks up. She's like, is Bob Odenkirk trying to steal Chris Kattan's liver? It's like, yes, honey. Come on. 
You act like you've never watched Monkey Bone six times. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but really, he's just a doctor trying to get, you know, uh, an organ he was promised, okay? So he's not really a villain. (laughs) 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 He's got to run across a football field and try to chase a liver before a kid catches it. The last third of this movie is what feels the closest to maybe what it was a movie at some point. (laughs) Yes. There's, yes. They have enough people. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Anyway. Let's dig into the development because it, it is fascinating. You guys understand the shorter you leave to recount the e- events of Monkey Bone, the more insane. <laughs> Every second that takes by is like the wilder the compression is going to have to get. It's like, okay, so Jim Carlo is, you know, he's got, um, really, he's a fun, right? Hypnos, the gods of dreams. Right. He's the god of dreams, but he's the brother of death. He's he throws like sex parties yeah, with bee ladies. Nightmares of dogs. Henry Selleck, who, uh-huh. uh, Justin, I haven't asked you, but I assume you enjoy the other work of Henry Selleck to some extent. Yeah, I've I've seen all of his other films. Not that that's a huge accomplishment. There's not. No, there's uh, four uh, a boatload, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he had made A Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. And after Peach, he's looking for something to to keep his whole stop motion operation going. That's the big thing is that like we've talked about this, but so much of the cost and the struggle with animation is like you need to really build a studio and have them perpetually in production to build a good rhythm, to build a good team, to get the sort of like everything flowing. So in Nightmare, he sold them on very quickly. Let me make another movie. Let's keep this team intact. Let's hold on to these sound stages. And then by the end of Peach, Disney was like, we're done before it even really comes out and is sort of unceremoniously dumped. But he moves on to a Disney uh, sub company known as Miramax, uh, a company where nothing bad ever happened in the 90s. But this pressure is on him where it's like, you need to find someone to start footing the bill immediately. Like the clock is ticking. You're going to lose people. You're going to lose your your stages, your equipment, unless you get someone else to immediately start putting something into development to keep everyone on payroll. So he moves to Miramax and he makes a deal to produce three features with them, talks about making an adult film for them, which mm-hmm. is a movie for grownups, not a pornographic film. Um, or but, maybe uh, a little column A, a little Maybe a little column B. B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who can say? Hammer sucks a dang ass freak. And I think his hope too was that it's like, it's a mini studio. I will not only make films myself, but I'm going to start having protégés. I can build yeah, well, this that's out. that's complete insanity because Henry Selleck is a maniac and the idea that he would be a mogul of anything is nonsense. But uh, <laughs> he is working on an adaptation of the children's novel Toots and the Upside Down House. I have not read this book. Mm-mm. I don't know if anyone has. Nope. Someone probably has. I mean, someone in the world has. I mean, someone here uh, I don't know. It sounds kind of cool. You know, girl discovers an upside down world in here, her ceiling. It sounds very Henry selleck Yes. You know, like when you sit me down and you're like, Henry Selleck has a new film. D- d- don't, don't sit, don't stand up because I'm going to knock your socks off with this. It's about a shadowy world behind our world. It's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. A, a young she girl still that. grieving over the death of her mother goes to a fantasy world inside her upside down home where her dad still won't pay attention to her. Oh! Where goblins, fairies, and sprites live there while helping the fairies battle an evil Jack Frost. Yes, this is a fucking parody of a Henry Selleck production. Um, So 
Steven Soderbergh is writing the screenplay because he is still deeply embedded with Miramax because mm-hmm. he is one of their like early 90s indie stars. Yeah. Uh, and so... And he's kind of in his fuck-up run where he's like... Yeah, he's in the weird weird wilderness mid-90s where he's making like the underneath and schizopolis. I gotta just take jobs and earn goodwill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, JJ, our researcher is a Sodi is a Sodi head. Not that I'm mm. not, but he really is. So he put in like 500 pages into this dossier of him just, uh, quoting Soderbergh because he well, Soderbergh, Soderbergh has those books where he's just like published his diaries Yes, from all the early years of his careers. They are worth day reading. to the, day. The, yes. The book is the book that covers this is called getting away with it. And it is an amazing book and I do recommend it to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of Soderbergh's diary entries on this are basically like that Henry Selleck is going crazy, uh, that Disney is insane, Miramax is insane, and I don't know. I think they they, they did like Toots. They did like they yeah. were enthusiastic about the draft they were producing, but every meeting with every studio was disastrous. Like initially, Miramax is going to do it. They give up. They kick it around everywhere else. Universal, Fox, all this stuff. Um, it does land at Fox under Bill Mechanic, who I think we talked about. Yes. And Fox is in this period of really trying to beef up their animation department, go toe to toe with Disney. They've brought Don Bluth in. This is when they were bullish. Um, and then it basically falls apart right away. I, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of stuff on this, but you know, it's a different project, so we can't talk about it too much. It does. It does. I think the two things to note weirdly, surprisingly, it does sound like Soderbergh and Selleck got along very well. Yes. And Selleck was like, I'm constantly struggling with like a year and a half with 10 writers and we got this to a good place with one writer in four months. But Soderbergh also seems to say like, I think we did an okay job. I think he could have made a good movie. I don't think we ever totally cracked this story. I think there was like dramatic inherent dramatic issues with the book that we never really worked out. The other thing, it's sort of the ultimate indignity is when they're maybe setting the film up at Fox, Fox pitches to him, can we make it Tim Burton's Toots and the Upside Down House? They do say that. <laughs> and and Selleck <laughs> has oh, an aneurysm, basically. And Selleck basically says, like, Tim Burton's not involved with this project. He's like, no, no, I know. What I'm pitching to you is... We will call like this if you can call him and convince him to put his name on it. And Selleck, uh, I'm seeing here, pulled out his own liver and painted uh, eldritch runes on the wall in blood. No, And then he threw it at Chris Kattan, who was hanging on an adjacent rope. And Odin Kirk caught it. That was his general uh, feeling on that. Uh, He can't get out from under the Burton thing. As this is falling apart, however, someone anonymously sends him a copy of Kaya Blackley's comic book, Dark Town, Mm -hmm. which I believe, Griffin, there is only one issue of? Correct. It was Like, it was intended as a miniseries? or 12-issue miniseries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's only one issue. And... I again, it's just sort of like a person falls into a coma and ends up in another world, right? It's very, it's like the, it feels like the, the, the thing that you would bring out at like a pitch meeting for, for like an ongoing thing. It's very much set up. And I bought a yeah. copy on eBay. I reached out to Kaya on Instagram just to see if he wanted to chat about Monkey Bone. I haven't quite worked out the details of that yet. But, um, 
he was open to it. We just never quite, you know, and uh, the planets never aligned for us to have that conversation. Look, if you ever chat, send it along. The last month, I've thought you were joking about the legwork you've put into this episode. I wanted to do a good job. I had a real movie. I wanted to really prove myself. This is just a... We we give Justin the assignment of one of the least watched blockbusters of all time that yes. everybody hates. And he went this hard on it? What if we gave him be, like Lawrence of Arabia? I could be the leading scholar on anything. <laughs> like I could be... I could do this. Like if I, if I made the niche narrow enough, I could slide right in there and be like, well, if you're talking the bone, you got to have the J-Man on your episode. Whatever... Whatever your pro the project is, we got to bring in, you know, in 20 years when they do the reboot, we, we brought in Monkey Bone historian Justin McElroy to tell us, you know, he's our he's our lore keeper. <laughs> he sits on set like, oh, well, I actually. guess so. Yeah. Anytime it comes up from now on. It is fascinating, though. Monkey Bone does not exist in the comic. There is no sort of like id ego sidekick character at all it's not even like oh it's yeah. different than monkey bone that dynamic doesn't exist it's truly just the idea of like cartoonist falls into his own subconscious I, it's he's a puppeteer so he becomes his okay. own puppet right something like but it, so right. it's the vague idea but not artist of, of monkey bone exactly. right conscious but, but like, unconscious your own creation yes coma world id ego sort of stuff no but no but i guess Selick really adds the id ego yeah I want to mention Vanessa Chong, who's the the illustrator on that, who I think when you look at the art for the book, had, I would uh, uh, I imagine, maybe even more of an impact on Monkey Bone than the, like, story yeah. fragments that are put forth there. Because there's, like, an aesthetic DNA that's, like, very, it's not a long walk from from the book to to Monkey Bone. It looks very cool. It looks very '90s, but I don't, not in a bad way. Like, but the aesthetic is kind of, yeah. It's it is impressive. It's is it a good issue? It's so it's so slight. Like, there's so little that gets like achieved. You know what I mean? That like, mm -hmm. it, 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 if you're a if you're a a boner, it's it's <laughs> it's interesting to you just to go back and like you know. Yeah, blow well, a bit you're dust a off the old boner. tune. We, we know this. When you're a boner, it's you know, it's it's an interesting cultural artifact. But it's it's so wild because it was Mad Monkey Press, which it seems was a publishing company founded by Kaya Blackley. I think all all the stories of of the thing being sent to him anonymously. I wonder if that's you know. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, the other thing is the, the comic is serious. It is like not a comedy, right? I think when this movie starts being developed by Selick, they're thinking it's, it's more of almost like a Dark City sort of noir thing. Do y'all think Selick's funny? You think Selick's funny? Um, I think he I saw must all of you just a... it, look, look up at the sky. Huh. Did I write whether or not Henry Selick is funny on the ceiling? Because that is where I'm going He's to try to find that answer. Funny. It's he's a tough question. He's got like a, a mordant wit, clearly. Right. Uh, and like, obviously, there's lots of visual, like wonderful visual humor in his films. But I don't know if he's like a wisecracker. Like, I, I don't get the vibe that like, if I was, you know, having dinner with him, that he'd be like a cut up, right? Like, that doesn't seem like the vibe. I guess what I'm like, I, I feel like, and I I don't know because you know uh, uh, anything about the production of Monkey Bone whatsoever. Yeah, uh, a lot of it feels like very few people in the involved with the film understood what was funny. 
like what makes something funny. And when you get people who are good at funny, yeah, in, later in the movie, it starts to gel a little bit. Like you feel like, oh, you all know what you all are funny. See, but you're forgetting that the monkey toy has its thumb and its butt, and when you pull That's it good. out, it farts. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's that very good. funny. Let's also acknowledge. I sent you guys a photo. I did buy a used DVD of this movie, and it has maybe the best DVD disc art, the actual art on the label. It's the monkey is bending over and showing us his butt, but then the little, the little peg where you put the disc, the hole is his butt hole. Credit to whoever did that, by the way, because by the time that DVD was printed, yes. That person knew what monkey bone was. Right. There was not a fucking human being on earth that if this person phoned it in was going to walk into their office like, hey, what's up with the monkey bone DVD? This doesn't look like anything. But they're like, you know what? I'm going to take the time. I'm going to take the time. Yeah. They could have stamped the title in Comic Sans. Yeah. Yes. And it would have been, yeah. be done. They could have just sold it in a, in a paper sleeve. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no one would have bought Maggie. it. <laughs> they um, could just scribbled in Sharpie. <laughs> I, I will say the humor of Monkey Bone is, by and large, very loud. Would you agree uh-huh. with that? Juvenile. Yeah, and I often will say, the louder you're getting, the more I'm convinced you're not that funny, and instead you're just trying to, you know, compensate by just As a general screaming rule, sure. at me. Yes, yeah, so, so yeah. Hey, look, Sam Hamm is the mm-hmm. writer of this film. He obviously is most well-known for writing Batman. But uh, for whatever reason, he collaborates with Selleck on this. I don't really know why, Griffin. Uh, I don't either. I mean, Sam Hamm spent the 90s developing a lot of stuff, very little of it actually coming to fruition after writing one of the biggest movies of all time. I guess uh, they're both Burton collaborators. Yeah. I think he had worked a little bit on uh, prior Selleck projects, right? So maybe that's where it comes from. Like maybe he worked on Nightmare. I don't know. Can't remember. Yeah, but also if you if you look at the original comic, it makes sense to hire the guy who wrote yeah. the '89 Batman yeah. to do that. It becomes surprising that he's the writer on this when you see the final product. But by Selleck's account, it was like we tried writing this as a straight kind of like dark thriller movie, and the more we started digging into the rules of the internal universe we kept on making jokes about it and having fun riffing on it and then going like, well, let's get back to the serious stuff. And at some point they just realized like, why don't we just let this be a comedy? If we're having more fun noodling on the silly possibilities. Well, let me read you some quotes here. In Please. Fact, because this, this will underline that. Yes. Sam Hamm. He says, we bounced around for a long time over what the fantasy world population should look like. Mm-hmm. Are they people who can't sleep? Are they monsters? For one stretch, we had the inspiration that they were retired TV commercial pitchmen like Speedy Alka-Seltzer and the Esso Tiger. All these characters floating around in pop culture mythology who'd been discarded by their sponsors. Fucking what are you talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, if you come to me, I'm, yeah. like, you know, in charge of a company that's going to give you $75 million. They're like, hey, we're thinking like discarded 60s. Uh, pop culture, you know, the Esso Tiger, I would just be like, you're so fired. You're, I, I can't emphasize how fired you are. I don't want to see you. Studios get a bad rap for noting things to death, but this movie could have used a, fir- a firm <laughs> yeah, hand. I got a, a note firm for hand you. at the no. till. Here's the note. N-O. No. Uh, <laughs> they realized 
That would be a nightmare. Uh, that speaks so thoroughly to the the sensibility you're talking about, where you're like, what if the fifth lead of our movie yes. is the Quisp serial mascot yes. or whatever? <laughs> Put your Hawaiian shirt in the closet. We are professionals. We make motion pictures, okay? Fucking, imagine pitching that to Selznick. He'd shoot you with a shotgun. <laughs> and no, and he'd cover it up. He'd be like, take care of this. Um, and like so then but this is the quote that really boggles my mind this is the end of this ham quote then we realized getting the rights would be a total nightmare no shit (laughs) so we settled on using mythological characters who are hybrids part animal and part human I'm sorry you settled on that (laughs) (laughs) that's you like being like all right everyone calm down minotaur bartender (laughs) What what the fuck are you talking it's also completely unmoored for it's part of what makes the 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 dark town stuff or or downtown in in the film. Yeah. So like you you don't really know what they're supposed to be, right? Cuz no. there's da- no explanation given for why people look like this. They're not people obviously cuz Stu's a person and he's down there and there aren't any other people. So like what is ha- what is it just his private purgatory or it's it's bad? Well, no, because yeah, I mean, you see some of them are obviously representations of his drawings, but most of them don't seem to match his art style. But some that, of them feel like Picasso paintings. Absolutely. They're like weird cubist creatures. Like, yes. Without explanation. To be clear, I kind of love it, but it is offensive to assume that anyone would be like, "Mm -hmm, yep, good. I get this. (laughs) Especially though, after listening to the, 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 the episode y'all did about, uh, nightmare before Christmas, where every background player in that film is like engaging in a way that you you get it within a moment of seeing it and you want to know more about it. This just feels like, uh, uh, is more akin to like flipping through someone's sketchbook or something where it's like, here's a bunch of different ideas. And it's definitely like, there's a creativity there, but they don't have that quality of them being their own sort of like encapsulated short story that's captured in just their their character design. It feels like sort of uh, off the wall for the sake of being uh, off the wall. But I mean, w- yes. when I brought up this Toy Fair display I have behind me, you guys said like, I, I assume they had not seen the movie at the time. You imagine just in 1999, someone like goes to a toy company and gives them like a physical file of production photos and concept art. And you're like, here are some of the denizens of this town in a Henry Selleck movie. By the way, remember how Nightmare Merchandise is still selling five years later of every peripheral character? And I think people were just like, go. All of these, every one of these characters is designed, looks weird. Why couldn't you put that on a lunchbox? Maybe the merchandising is the thing that makes this whole thing make sense, right? Like, the less we interfere, like, was that the plan with, like, okay, the movie's, like, whatever, but maybe we're going to make a boatload off the toys. To look at him, Monkey Bone is cute. Not him moving around or talking, to be clear, but, like, a little monkey with a fez who's mischievous? Like, yeah, sure. A little stinker. That's fine. Yeah, he's a stinker. Mm -hmm. I get it. I I just want to call out quickly, uh, there's a guy named Mark Ryden who's like a pop surrealist uh, artist. He did yeah, the cover for Michael Jackson's Dangerous. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Very, you very look baroque. Him up. He's yes. sort of like the big eyes lady crossed with Correct. Tim Burton or whatever, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. And and he was cited by Selleck as a huge influence visually on all the downtown stuff. 
With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, well, yeah, so initially... Selleck's like, well, this should be like a horror film. That's kind of the vibe of the novel, the graphic novel. Uh, and then eventually they move on from that and start to get more, quote, Dr. Strange lovey with it and decide that the uh, character, the, the title mm-hmm. character, should be a monkey, a cartoony animal sidekick. Here's Selleck. It wound up being a monkey because monkeys lend themselves best to parodying human behavior. Okay, sure. And monkeys are funny. Monkey Bone is a brand new creation. The guy in the comic didn't have a sidekick, and our concept was nightmarish at first because Henry and I thought this would be a great suspenseful horror story. But the more we discussed it to flesh out the plot, the more we cracked each other up. We finally realized we were talking in such goofy terms about death and comas. We should go with the impulse and see what we could get out of it in terms of comedy. Again, I mean, they did that. that. <laughs> you can't say they didn't do that. They didn't do that. <laughs> It just doesn't make any sense to me. The no. way they're talking about it, he's like, so I pictured this horror film, and then we were kind of just cutting it up right in the movie, and we were like, I don't know, $75 million comedy? Let's do it, right? You know, like, it's just, there's not enough rigor here. They scary movied themselves. They skipped yes. the actual scary thing and did the parody of the thing they were going to make originally. Yeah. Uh, and of course, their first pick to voice Monkey Bone Griffin, I'm sure you know this. Yes. Paul, Paul Rubens, Rubens, who they were, I I believe when this movie was announced, he was announced with it, or at least is in talks or whatever. I remember for a very long time as a film nerd kid on the internet, tracking this movie and Rubens' name being attached to it from yes. the Stiller days into the Fraser days. It is wild because the other famous example of this is a movie we've covered where Paul Rubens was announced as the voice of Roger Rabbit and was like in negotiations for a long time. And then at some point, Disney decided they didn't want to pay him. They hire, uh, why, why am I fucking blanking on his name? The stand up who played Roger Rabbit. Um, uh, in the Fleischer, Charles. Yes. Charles Fleischer. Thank yeah. you. Yes. And, and Rubens has always said, like, that's the greatest regret of his career. That's like the yeah. thing that hurt yeah. him the most. Yeah. You just imagine him being like, I'm not going to fucking lose this again. I'm not going to miss the chance to play Monkey Bone. This is once in a generation animation and live action is combined. You get to play the title character. Selick, this guy's bulletproof. He's making hit after hit. Yeah, 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 totally. And then like in my memory, fairly late, suddenly there's this quiet announcement. Paul Rubin's out, John Turturro in. And you're like, wait a second, what? Like even as a child who has not seen a still image of this movie, there is no trailer. The racist pizza guy, the, <laughs> right. the, the the Jew everyone hates in quiz show. That's who your your Paul Rubin substitute in, is. In what universe are these two guys interchangeable? <laughs> they don't really. Apart from both kind of cutting the same physical, you know, they're both kind of like reedy, you know, Jewish guys. Apart from that, they're very different energies. Totoro's Italian. He is Italian. Yes, yes. He played many Jews, but he is Italian. And he's like actually tall and wiry. And I think Paul Rubens is built more like me. 
Yeah, Paul Rubens, I can't imagine, is a tall man, right? He's small. No. I think if you zoom, like, it is impossible to Monday morning quarterback this film and be like, mm-hmm. they just changed one thing. <laughs> yes, there's like, not it, one it, That is not possible. But I will say <laughs> that on repeat watchings, I think the number one thing that keeps this from palatability is that uh, commercial palatability. Mm-hmm. Listen, my palate's been yeah. refined now by several sips from the right. bone. But <laughs> this, I, I feel like the fact that they have no relationship at all. There is no, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. no charisma. There's no chemistry. There's no nothing. But monkey bone and, monkey and bone, yeah. Between monkey bone and stew, there's no. It's not funny at any second for a moment. These two like interacting with each other, and I think if you had had that, where yeah. it's at least like funny to watch these two play off of each other. A lot of the other stuff would have been that would have been a little bit of a chocolate on the raisin, you know, like would help get it down a little bit easier. Uh, but that is it is grading from the like the first like showpiece of Monkey Bone where he's in a cabaret, yeah, doing like a Marilyn Monroe thing, zero percent funny. And then I'm sorry, not just a Marilyn Monroe thing. He pulls off his ears, inflates them like balloons, wears them as boobs, and then sings a song about his girlfriend having he's got a loose caboose. <laughs> Do you, you know who's funny and unpredictable? Bugs Bunny. Like, yeah. Thinking, yeah Monkey Bone is. isn't funny. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> He's like a bad version of Bugs Bunny. He's like a guy at a party where you're like, oh, God, that guy saw me. He's going to come over and talk to me. Oh, he's going to do all his weird fucking bits. I hate that guy. He's fucking, who's the, who's the comedian Seinfeld hates in Seinfeld? Oh, uh, Gary. <laughs> that guy. What's yeah. it? Banta. Ba- yeah, he, you know, where you're like, ah, shit, he saw me. Fuck, Monkey Bone. Oh, he's going to have a whole song he wants to do. Um, Soup's not yes. a meal. No, and, and it feels like it makes you value Roger Rabbit even more where you're like, this is such a hard job to like establish in a movie. This character is right. A that hit. does not previously exist. Yeah. Right? right. And like in Roger Rabbit, you have to stack him directly up against Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, who are you know in the same movie along with Mickey Mouse and Donald and everybody. Like he's got exists on the spectrum, and you're like, this character did not exist prior to this movie, and I buy him. I find him funny. I find him amusing as a character. I'm ready to go. Monkey Bone, you're like, I don't understand why this show got picked up to series. Griffin, you don't think that the opening of this film in which Monkey Bone is presented as the character's adolescent erection Mm. is enough to cement him in our hearts and minds for the rest of the film? I'm sorry. Okay. What's funny is I I like this animated opening. I think it's fun. And it's kind of funny. It's not like the funniest thing I've ever seen, but like, you're like, okay, yeah, you know, I get the energy. And as you said, Justin, it does feel like this movie is tapped into the weirdness of in the 90s, post Simpsons, suddenly like underground cartoonists being looked at as like potential oil wells. The, the Ren and Stimpy thing. Yeah. Right. right. Like, you know, hey, you're a weird brain, man. Whatever's going on in there. Yeah. Right. But these things that used to be seen as subversive or outro or whatever, it's like between Ren and Stimpy, Simpsons, and Ninja Turtles, you're like, these things have become so mainstream and profitable that you like put Duckman on national television, you know? This is the first, this sequence though is the first warning sign because after the the, the short bit from the cartoon, you see Dave Foley get up in front of everybody. He's like Stu's manager. Yeah. And he gets up in front of everybody and he's like, and I have great news. We have been ordered to make six episodes and the entire place goes nuts right they're cheering and this is the first warning bell for me 
I'm in a very specific position here as one, the person who's watched Monkey Bud the most, and two, a person who's made a six-episode TV show. Let me tell you. This is the thing. They don't make toys of six-episode TV shows, guys. Absolutely (laughs) not. They do not come to you banging down the door, begging you to license. Yes. I'll just say... They made that many toys of monkey bone. <laughs> like, they didn't, though, the David. The people were stupid. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're they right. didn't. Most of them never made it to shelf. No, but that is, like, uh, my fucking endless battles with, like, the licensing team at Sony and Amazon for the tick was they were like, we don't lift a finger until season three. And that's with 10-episode seasons. They're like, unless the thing explodes out of the gate, we need three seasons to prove that the thing is stable enough that we can start putting merch into production. It's a really weird, like, it really sticks in my head. And not just because I've seen the film seven yeah. times, but like, you know what a success, like, you know what a successful TV order would be. Why not cut, shoot for the, he's going to be, you're going to have him hounded by press yeah, leader. Yeah. Pick a high doesn't make any sense anyway. Tell me it's season two already. I don't give a yeah. shit. Right. T- tell me they picked it up for three seasons at the three go. Three seasons. That's yes. something. Yeah, they gave yes. it to Drew Carey. They gave it to Drew Carey. They gave it to Drew Carey. The comedy Carey. channel. They they gave him the order the comedy that channel. they deserved. A six-episode right. order. But it is so funny. I watched this opening cartoon, and I'm just like, when it is just sort of like memoiry, awkward boy dealing with sexuality and his own head and whatever, I'm like, this cartoon seems kind of fun. And the second monkey bone pops out of his pants, I'm like, this show immediately seems grating. Right. Yeah. The second monkey bone shows up. You're like, okay, fine. Jesus. Change I don't need show. monkey don't bone in this show. Bone. Yeah. But they're just like, everyone's seeing dollar signs at this fucking monkey. This project, Monkey Bone, ends mm-hmm. up at Fox under Bill Mechanic. Uh, as you say, this is during the Bill Mechanic era when he's bringing in Don Bluth and he's making all kinds of stuff. Some of the stuff Bill Mechanic greenlit. Titanic. Heard of it? Successful. There's something about Mary. He came on his ear. What a Humongous. relatable mix-up. Yes. Uh, X-Men. That was kind of a big one. But mm-hmm. then he would also green light shit like Fight Club or Monkey Bone. Like he was one of those guys who's like, I want to do weird shit. Like I'm from an independent background. Like I think it's good to take these big swings. Blah blah blah. David, do you think anyone has ever lumped together Fight Club and Monkey Bone as two <laughs> examples of a thing that you're supposed to derive meaning from? <laughs> You know, you know, stuff like Monkey Bone or Fight Club, you know, that sort of thing that we're talking about. Look, Fight Club uh, was a bomb, uh, as, you know, yeah. as people forget. Like, it wasn't just that it didn't do that well. It was that it cost a fortune, even though the pitch of the movie is, I don't know, hot men beat each other up because, you know, of capitalism. I don't, I mean, what is the pitch for Fight Club? <laughs> I, don't really, I mean, that was the problem they had. They didn't know how to pitch it. I, I think he also gets a fair amount of credit for finally pulling Malik out of retirement and getting Thin Red Line made. And there he ends go. up That's being, that was a Fox after movie, yeah. he's left Fox, he is the producer on The New World. It's one of the only films he produced independently along with Coraline. Fairly cool. However. Yeah. Bill Mechanic departs Fox after Fox Animation Studios goes under uh, Mm -hmm. because Titan AE is such a disaster. Um, So while this movie is spooling up, I think uh, Selleck's protector is gone. So that's part of the problem. And and I think the the neither fish nor fowl quality of this movie, where it's like this was developed as an animated movie predominantly with live action elements. I think they yes. thought more of it would take place in downtown. Maybe he's the main live action element. I think as Mechanic leaves, the thing gets pushed more into 
this is perhaps predominantly live-action comedy with animated segments. So Ben Stiller, original person for this uh, movie, makes total sense, obviously. He's mm -hmm. right in that pocket uh, in, the, in the year 2000, right? And like 90s Gen X alternative, like he fits 100%. into, yes. Uh, Selleck says he, well, the, the, the reason for him leaving was supposedly scheduled conflict with mystery men. Selleck says many years later that Stiller had a team of writers who wanted to work on the movie. And Stiller, uh, Selleck says, uh, I chose to be loyal to the writer that was on it. It actually would have been better to go with Ben and his writers. Uh, there's a lot of variables looking back. What ifs? He's not wrong. I imagine that Ben Stiller's crack team of writers might have taken a gander at the old monkey bone <laughs> screenplay and been like, uh, guys, what were you thinking here? Added a few ingredients to the bone broth. Yeah, and there no wouldn't be bring back the Esso Tiger. That's what we are missing. I think it would be, uh, I'm tearing this into pieces. Don't worry, we're going to fix this. I mean, Justin, to, to circle back to your looming question, is Henry Selleck funny? I'm, I'm running it over my head, and I do find all of his films funny. Yeah, but it is telling that all of his other films have, like, a key comedic voice he is in some way working with, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, in Nightmare, you have Tim Burton and Danny Elfman who have, like, honed comedic sensibilities, James and the Giant Peach, he's working off of a Rawl doll book. Right. You know, Coraline, uh, Neil Gaiman, like, has a good handle on comedy when he wants to do it. And you have They Might Be Giants writing songs for you. It, Wendell and Wilde is Jordan Peele. You know, he's always got someone he can sort of, like, help balance out that stuff. This movie doesn't have a Stiller. And Stiller would have made sense in that mold. Yeah. Yeah, I think I th I think part of it could also be that the the difference between anim like uh, directing live actors versus mm -hmm. something where you're able to microscopically alter facial expressions. You see people come in with takes in this movie, and they're coming really hard. Like they're coming really hard, and they feel you can get the sense of the desperation in them. Like I don't know what this is, but I'm gonna try to do something that will make it seem Bridget Fonda comes in when she, in the moments she's supposed to be sad. This one looks devastated. It's so upsetting. Bridget Fonda in this movie has, is like the, the picture of grief. And it's like, Oh, that's not, I don't think that's the tone. That's really genuinely uh, upsetting. Um, and I think that that is a pervasive uh, issue with a lot of the live actors in, in the film. Maybe she's playing it so incredibly straight and is styled throughout the movie as like a Hitchcock blonde. Like she is like so immaculately lit and shot. Yeah. And then everyone around her is like goofballs, banana McGillicuddy. <laughs> I mean, this is essentially her last film. Kiss of yeah. the Dragon, the uh, Jet Li action film she made, came out after it. And then something called The Whole Shebang, which doesn't exist. Uh, but that's it. This is Bridget Fonda being like, sayonara, Hollywood. She does a TV like uh, Ice Queen movie. The Snow Queen. It was Snow called. Queen. Um, that's, yes. I think that's her like final, final thing. But those, yeah, those are her last theatrical feature films. Yeah. And obviously she ends up married to Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Um, exactly. Look, the thing about Brendan Fraser is Selleck actually is quite... Uh, praiseworthy of, you know, has a lot of praise for him. 
But the way he describes him is kind of the way that ben, Brendan Fraser seems to be, which is like, he's a pretty serious actor who's pretty lost in thought about how to do everything. Like he is not what you're talking about, Griffin, which they might've helped benefited from a Ben Stiller, like big creative comedy mind. Who's going to have a lot of thoughts about how to do it. Brendan Fraser is just sitting there thinking about like, so I'm monkey bone in this scene. Like how will I physically <laughs> represent that? But, but he, yes, he's not a creative collaborator in that kind of sense. I think Fraser is a guy who likes being able to execute someone else's vision and works very hard internally to figure out how to realize that. I mean, I sent you, David, a, a couple of weeks ago, Brendan Fraser's like timeline of my career, I watched my most it. famous roles, whatever yeah. it was, which is incredible. And I just emailed you and said, or texted you and said, he's winning the Oscar so fucking hard. I have rarely seen an actor speak this well about the craft of acting clearly and unpretentiously. It, 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 he is a guy who is, I think, because especially now as this like career reclamation is happening, there's this attitude of like, we took him for granted because he was in silly films. He was doing sort of light entertainment. A lot of his work was cartoonish. And perhaps we didn't give credit to how skillful and precise what he was doing was and how difficult it was. How few people can pull that off and he did on a pretty consistent basis across a couple different genres. While also, you know, occasionally sprinkling in things like Gods and Monsters and Quiet American and like, you know, really kind of yeoman's work supporting performances in the unshowy roles, but doing incredible work against like some of the best screen actors alive. Um, but it does feel like, you know, he's a guy who is really tuned into the pitch of a movie, the style of a director, the tone of the thing, matching the level of what the film's supposed to be. He is, you know, unbelievably good, arguably one of the best in history at acting against nothing. Like, he yeah. is so remarkably good at that. And uh, the fact that he and Monkey Bone have no chemistry is absolutely not his failing. No. Um, on that one level, you're like, he's a pretty perfect choice for this movie because a he's going to be willing to play the different sides of this character go as huge as he needs to go act off of a lot of complicated like mechanics and stop motion x's and all this sort of shit but on the other hand like you need someone who's actually coming up with jokes in this role you might need that it's also a little bit hard i think to buy him as like the introverted artist that they want to play him off as early in the movie like he hadn't had a bit of good luck until he met Bridget Fonda. And then he says, like, I'm looking at you, bud, and I actually don't believe that. I think you did pretty good right off the bat in the old <laughs> genetic lottery. I think you did all right. Kind of look like a demigod. But, I, yeah, I bet I bet you don't like parties. Go off, bud. I bet you don't. <laughs> it's so tired. People throwing themselves at you, tossing drugs in your pocket, <laughs> electing you king of the party, which is a, a, a thing, but they just keep electing me to it. Because I'm so incredibly beautiful and charming. I, I don't know if you agree with me, Griffin, but I, he does a better job of a similar thing in Bedazzled. Yes. Where he is also playing the kind of nice guy loser. Mm -hmm. He's such a funny looking person, even at the absolute height of his yeah. like ripped bod. Like it's just like his big old noggin, I guess. Yeah. That he can do dopey if needed. And like, he's got these expressive, wide-set eyes and everything. I mean, that was always yeah. the weird thing with him, where it's like, this guy is so conventionally handsome, but in a way that's kind of funny. Yes. Uh, and it's, it is funny, because Bedazzled is also a similar thing in that 
he play he keeps you know he changes roles right yeah. he, he keeps reading and rent so it's like monkey bone kind of does that he's playing multiple roles within monkey bone yeah but uh but he doesn't feel like he has any real grip on any of them it's also hard because someone else in this film is tasked with doing that sort of like impersonation uh inhabiting the body the soul inhabiting the body I, we won't get to him right now but they do it incredibly effectively uh i don't think he's got a lot to work with when monkey bone is inhabiting his body which happens through a for a good third of them <laughs> but i also i think it's like th this movie weirdly never Beyond the fact that we we all agree that Monkey Bone kind of doesn't work as a character, right? He's annoying. It, Fuck him. It's like they yeah, barely sucks. set him up. Selick has said, like, there was a cut of this movie that was 15 minutes longer, and it was so much better. It just, yes. like, had a little more room to breathe. He never claims there was a masterpiece cut of this movie. But he's just like, they got scared. I didn't totally nail it. They whittled this thing down to the bone. I know that the cut of this movie that breathes a little more works a lot better. It does feel uh, like at the same time at the same time an additional 15 minutes is an additional hour and 45 minutes out of my life <laughs> when you do the when you do the math. So you I'm actually relieved. That's like yeah. a couple Fargo's that I could That's an extra in. monkey bone. Yeah, yeah, right. The, the strangest thing to me though is it feels like the place where this movie has been cut down the most is in getting him through Darktown and Monkey Bone into his body. Like, it feels like Stu and Monkey Bone have eight minutes together on yeah. screen at most before that swap happens, which, as you said, it's like we barely understand Monkey Bone's vibe enough to understand what it's going to be like when he's in Stu's body. They don't have any banter set up, you know? It's, it's like all the most expensive shit in this movie is what feels like it was cut down they also hate each other's guts immediately, which is wild because they didn't, it's just his, his penis cartoon come to life. You'd think there'd be a few minutes where you're like, yeah. oh, this, this is so wild. This is so wild that my, my penis cartoon came to life. They just despise each other from the, from the beginning. I mean, if my dick came to life and talked to me, I'd probably immediately be like, ugh, I hate your vibe. You suck. <laughs> Roger Rabbit, like Valiant, hates Roger, but Roger is so guileless and sweet and sincere. Yes. It helps to have one or the other, you know? Yes, it's good to have some sincere energy. It, in the it's mix. also the performance feels a little bit embarrassed, right? Like you can sense a little, like when he's singing, I see Ben, Ben gets it. When you, when he's singing the Julie has a loose caboose, which honestly, <laughs> it's really rough. It's a rough watch. Uh, you could feel a little bit of embarrassment on Totoro's part. Like, I listen, I have faith that this will come together, but I don't, I don't exactly know what we're going for here. It's also just wild because it feels like it's just Totoro speaking as Totoro pitched up to the high heavens. Like, it doesn't feel like he's committing to a voice as much as he's just giving high energy Totoro, and then they're just adjusting it in post. Here's some other quotes Selleck uh, has. Um, unintentionally revealing quotes about himself. Mm -hmm. uh, quote, I can be too controlling because that's how I needed to be as an animation director, so I've had to back off and open up to what the actors can contribute. Brendan shows incredible range. It's pretty shocking how much this guy can do if he'd just stopped making those Hugh Wilson films. You know, a little, little dig there at the end. Uh, but incredible quote. Yes. A very good quote. Uh, and then uh, the other thing he says that I think is interesting is like, my experience with Brendan is 90% of the time he's just right. Where I wanted to push him a few times, I was generally wrong. He knew the character better than I did. So after a few weeks, I learned to trust him 
a few weeks is is doing a lot of work there. What are we talking? Three? Seven? <laughs> like, like, how long was the shoot, Henry? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, Chris Catan, he says, on the other hand, will do anything. He'll do a million takes. He's like a puppy that's wiggling and jiggling and going crazy. He was the one I had to focus like an errant missile. Uh, they're two totally different styles. Brendan's more precise and planned and thoughtful. And then he explodes into action. He's always quiet between takes. Uh, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he's talking about actors, I do think Selleck is uh, somewhat admitting to the fact that he's probably like a gigantic control freak who's terrible with actors. Hates having to speak to people. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but like then everything you read about the making of this movie, uh, you know, it sounds incredibly stressful because of the insane visual elements required, right? They yeah. had to build a Brendan Fraser motion control robot. Yes. And would that they would match to the live action of his body. On top of that, they animated the monkey. Like, what? What the, is mo- that? Yes. Why would that be an approach? I, I, I can try to explain some of this in, in dumb terms. Uh, but, but, you know, he wanted to do James and the Giant Peach this way, right? We talked about this in that episode. But his original intent was that James stay live action the entire time. And Disney was basically right, right. like, this is going to be a fucking nightmare trying to combine the two and have them match. Have the peach stuff be stop motion. Have the live action stuff be live action. We can get away with a couple of shots of the bugs in New York City at the end. But let's not drive ourselves insane here. But that remained like this thing that Selick wanted to get at, which I think was so inspired by Ray Harryhausen. Where he's just like, when you can combine these two and the otherworldly quality of stop motion existing in a live action space, that's the sort of like dream I want to get to. The thing with the Harryhausen sequences is, you know, he didn't direct the whole movie. They bring in the specialist to only focus on a couple key sequences that he can put all of his energy into. And those sequences are usually pretty fucking static and clamped down. When you see the classic Harryhausen shots of like Jason the Argonauts fighting the skeletons and everything, it's like big, wide master shots that hold for a really long time. Because basically you can just shoot this open plate and then hand it over to Harryhausen, give him a lot of time to animate on top of it, rear project it, what have you, right? But Selleck wanted to do like camera movements and stuff. He's like, we want to integrate this character like he's a real character. God. So that involves not just having like a motion controlled camera that, you know, can replicate the same camera moves in stop motion frame by frame that you're going to have to do that you already did on the live action set. But you also need to make sure if he's interacting with Brendan Fraser, that Brendan Fraser's body is perfectly matching it. So they had like a robot. It didn't look like Brendan Fraser, but like you know, probably like a mannequin dummy that was mechanized to shift one frame at a time its movements relative to whatever was going on with Brendan Fraser's shoulders. Mikey Bone was also animated at like full scale, so the puppet's like three feet tall. None of this makes sense. This is madness. I'm getting so this mad. I can't believe that anyone yeah. wasted their time on this. Yeah, that's a lot of Earth minutes <laughs> that just flushed down the toity. Man, that's brutal. <laughs> Woof. Well, so how did your marriage break up? Well, I spent a lot of hours on Monkey Bone. <laughs> and they had to do it. Had to make my Fraser bot. Had to make my Fraser bot for Monkey Bone, hon. I'm sorry. But it was Take all the kids. worth it. If it's you all just, worth it. It's man. all there. <laughs> I mean, the movie looks good. Yeah, it does. Right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like it's yeah. very distinctive looking. Yeah. It looks like a lot. It looks. I don't think it looks cogent. 
but there's a lot. I don't feel, I feel like the design is very much like, uh, some of it feels like a distraction from the fact that the other elements are maybe not as well thought through. It feels a little like overcompensating maybe visually. It's amazing to see though. And there are things in this movie that are among the most horrific images Agreed. that I have ever seen. The shot of him, they're, they're, uh, uh, when he is having, whose dream is it? It's her nightmare. It's Julie's nightmare. That he's invading. thinking about him coming. Yeah, the cord being cut. Mm-hmm. And he melts. And it's ghastly. It's, it, it is horrible. It is incredible that this image. And I, how they accomplished that, I don't know. When he like deflates like a balloon. It's the very- Fraser kind of skin suit now, left on the floor. If I'm a 10-year-old seeing this movie because I wanted to see the fun movie about the cartoon monkey, I'm probably screaming in horror. But You're done. Uh, whatever. You're but but that's the other thing. It's like it fundamentally does not feel like this movie was ever intended for children. It feels like they thought this movie right. was for teenagers and 20-somethings. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's Hence, kind of the Rocco's Modern Life thing where you're like, yeah. wait, who is... But at least kids could sort of like Rocco's Modern... But you know, right. like, where you're like, this is so, like, disaffected and strange. Like, who's supposed to relate to this? It's like, I don't know, Stone College students. It's like, those people don't have any money? Wait a second. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um... Another thing weirdly inverse of what I was just saying is that like Selleck wanted Fraser to not look human when he enters downtown. So they like built a full body silicone Fraser. They thought about making a a stop motion Fraser. So there's sort of a James and the Giant Peach thing. And Fox was like, we're paying Brendan Fraser his full quote. He is on screen the whole time. (laughs) Right. Right. You are never putting a Fraser facsimile on screen. But that makes it more complicated to shoot. Yes, that is true. But by and large, Bill Mechanic seems to have been an umbrella protecting them from Mm -hmm. studio notes. And then Bill Mechanic was gone. And on post-production, apparently, studio executives saw what Selleck had made and were horrified. Um, As Selleck puts it, after the film was already here, the adults showed up, but it was too late. Uh, these guys are smart people. They're very clever, but it's just outside their villain. They know a uh, vision. They know how to make standard films in five or six areas. And this is so far away from that. Their first reaction was, can we turn this into one of our movies? And they tried. The battered corpse was then thrown back at me and I resuscitated it. So I guess they took the movie away from him, re-edited yeah. it. And it was so unworkable, the re-edit, that he's kind of got to release his movie. They handed it to Chris Columbus, who was the producer, or one of the producers on this movie, and said, like, you are incredibly commercial. You have populist instincts. Can you make this normal? Chris, can you make this? Nobody can make things boring like you can, Chris. (laughs) Please, please bring some of that magic, that Chris Columbus anti-sparkle. Make this this hella normal. And they screened it, and it was one of those fascinating cases where the audiences hated that cut even more. And yes, Fox like, throws their hands it. up. Me too. I would love to see the Chris Columbus normal edit of Monkey Fox. But it also feels like, it sounds like this movie is somewhere in between, like, Selleck's version being 15 minutes longer and yeah. Columbus's version probably attempting to be 20% more normal than yeah. this. Um, yes. Rose McGowan, who you know, will pop off from time to time. Uh-huh. Said on Instagram that Selleck had literally been fired during production, but I, it seems like that's not true, and she probably was just sort of conflating 
yeah. what actually happened. You know, the sort of the edit was taken away from him, but then kind of given back to him. Uh, and then Fox decided that their $75 million movie should just be pooped out with no fanfare in the yeah. middle of February and never spoken of again. Like that was really, it was just like, forget it. It was one of those movies where they were like, it's coming out on Halloween. Never mind. Fourth of July weekend. Never mind. January. Like they kept on pulling it yes. forwards and backwards in time. And then it was like suddenly like, never mind. It comes out a month. Just, yeah, just dumped. Uh, yes. And, you know, we'll talk about that later. But, you know, I think by a month after its release, it's, it's, it's gone. And that's yeah, it's in gone. the early 2000s. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can we attempt to talk through some of the plot of we this can movie. attempt we can attempt yeah absolutely it's easy it's a it's clear it's clear it's obvious it's not, not a long one it's a tight uh, 90 with credits we've gotten you up to yeah there's the premiere right and then uh -huh. there's <laughs> he gets to do a car full of monkey bone merchandise uh, right well yeah. he tells he tells dave foley that he's gonna pop the question that night to He's Bridget Fonda, Julie, right. Dr. Julie McElroy, his love interest. Yes. There's sort of a big uh, uh, exposition dump of backstory rather than giving us any time invested in their relationship. Where he's like, you don't understand. She saved my life. She's the one good thing. None of this matters. I don't believe in the commercialization of Monkey Bone. The merchandise stresses me out. This is what matters. Uh, then they load uh, like 18 pallets of Monkey Bone stuff into his car, including a giant inflatable Monkey Bone in the back seat, which then goes off, causes him to crash the car into a telephone pole, knocks him into a coma. One of the cats, I noticed uh, on Watch 5, I think, one of the cats <laughs> loading the toys into his car was the pizza delivery boy from Home Alone. Remember wow. that guy? He's like, wow. Yeah, it's, he's in there. Uncredited, sadly, but uh, uh, he's in there. I recommend uh, uh, immediate medical assistance for Justin. I Matthews saw Harry. I saw Harry Knowles said. in this one. Oh, he he Harry Knowles to this time. Oh, oh, yeah, he is there. He got his own coverage. What a what an evil specter that yeah. uh, is. Anyway, he's not, you you are like I can't believe he's held in the background of this shot for so long, and then they cut to his close up. They had to set up a different angle for him. Uh, it, uh, just everything we just explained happens in under five minutes. It is yeah, yeah. wild how fucking, like, this is where I buy into Selleck saying 15 minutes could have helped this movie because it is, like, breathless with how much it is asking you to buy into so fucking quickly. He's in, like, he's in downtown in under 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And not established as, like, a person. You don't get any sense of him before. It's all no. in retrospect. There's a wild like conversation between Julie and, and her friend later on where she's like, yeah, he has having terrible nightmares. And then he came to me and I taught him how to draw with his left hand. And that made monkey bone. It's like, what, why, where, why didn't you tell us any of this earlier? Why, why are we finding this also, out now? What's your job? What do you do? <laughs> You're a dream scientist. What? <laughs> what do you do? And then you, and then you started dating. <laughs> Apparently, the thing where he draws with his left hand—that's a Selick thing. He's like, I would draw with my left hand. So no, Selick was left-handed, and then he injured his hand as a child, so he trained himself to draw with his offhand. They had a concept designer, a character designer, on Nightmare Before Christmas, who their the right hand was their dominant hand, and everything they were doing—they had just come out of Disney, and everything was too clean and cute. And he said, just. Bear with me for a second. When I was a kid, I switched hands and it changed my art style. Can you try switching to your left hand? And he was like, immediately, it was Edward Gorey, Charles Adams. And I was interested in this idea that your whole psychology could change from hand to hand. 
it's a cool idea. Uh, but yeah. I, I like many ideas in Monkey Bone, it is introduced in a strange way and then not maybe quickly discarded space. It's just it is wild to me that it's like the two relationships this movie needs to work as any sort of engaging narrative are Stu and Monkey Bone and Stu and Julie. And both of them are basically like you get five minutes of those dynamics existing before the movie is putting weight on. Remember, remember what they were like, what their whole deal was. And Mm -hmm. Julie is all like retroactive backfill explaining the relationship you didn't get to see. And Monkey Bone, you spend more time with him by, by like many times over in the human body than you ever see, even with the cartoon footage, any yes. sense of who he is as a character. When he goes into a coma, he enters downtown, uh, which is essentially Limbo, if Limbo yes. was that video game Grim Fandango. <laughs> um where I guess, so the concept, Griffin, is it's like there's mythical beings here, but there's also like imagined things. Yes. Like if Monkey Bone is out of your imagination, well, he's here. Like right. that's because like your dreams are here and your nightmares are here, right? Is that the idea? Uh, y- y- yes. I mean, look. Good, uh, good, good. I'm glad that cleared that up. Great. Okay. The the Yeti is in your background right now, who is played by Doug Jones, right? Yes. Uh, there he is. Yep. Yep. Uh, but there's also like a Ganesha type uh elephant piano player. This is the thing. It's a little confusing. But then it's what like the rules of downtown are. Also in this background is the Joe Camel surrogate who feels like a vestige of their rejected mascot idea where Very he's introduced so. like desperately begging for cigarettes or trying to get him to smoke. Then you have this like... There's right, this fella. Who, Ben, oh, I have to head. imagine this is your favorite guy. Yeah. He fucking is really effective in that he's so discouraging to look at. Right. Giant horned cyclops head with tiny body walking around <laughs> on his muscly arms. Everyone... Every, all of this looks cool. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, these like th- th- like conjoined triplet devil lounge singers. It's very trippy. It's very psychedelic, yeah. like very acid trip, like freaking out kind of. Classic Selic imagery, like beautiful, is him like going, I, I think the shot of Stu sinking down into the bed, right? I yes, love. Yes, very cool. Yep. And then you have him in the roller coaster, like rickety wooden roller coaster, approaching this hand that opens up. There's a city there. He gets off, illuminated sign, Stu's emotional baggage. He opens it up. It's all his childhood drawings, the things that scared him as a child. And then we're immediately introduced to the roadkill trio, right? And it's like, oh, this is one of those things he drew as a kid. I get it. He's going to be in a world of all the things he came up with. And then, as you said, immediately he takes one further step in and you're like, oh, no, this town is everything. This town is. There's no rules to it, which maybe is why I'm mad about it, because I'd love some logic. Yeah. And and it look, it feels pretty fucking fertile to be like artist ends up in world with all of their creations versus a lot of these characters. He seems to be like, what's your fucking deal? Who are you? And once you see humans, you're like, oh, we're not in his head. This isn't his reality. Right. This, is this, is a, this is a state, like a, yes. a realm or some kind of pre-existing system. Like, right. 
Because Stephen King, Edgar Allan Poe, and Lizzie Borden are here. Three of the greatest artists. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. No, we'll get to it. As a boner, I got to speak up for the rest of the community. It is established that everyone in in this limbo is a fan of Stu's nightmares. They love. So it, it could be in tribute, like we're we are shifting the aesthetics of this place because we're such big uh, boners ourselves. They are, but the vibe, I guess, is you are so fucked up that we've yeah. enjoyed your subconscious showing up here. But I mean, this is all too staggering. To if anyone's subconscious can appear, how is it? You know, how is there any room to walk around? It would be crazy. But also, David, you saying the like that this movie represents the end of this aesthetic that's then replaced with the 2000s, like take a Ritalin and chill out vibe. It feels <laughs> sure. like that's what this movie should almost like plot wise be coming up against is like everyone has chilled out. There's no yeah. like unbridled artistic chaos. We Nobody need to wants hold to be you like- hostage. Right, lectured by a bipolar video store clerk anymore. Right, whatever, whatever, no one wants to be a tortured artist anymore. Everyone wants to yeah. sell out. You know, like that almost feels like the stance this movie should be taking. With Rather, Stiller, this makes more sense. Perfect sense. The death of that Gen X nonsense. Yes. Yeah. Like, because that's what Stiller's career is. Yeah. Right. Okay. But instead, Hypnos is like, I'm just personally such a big fan. Like, he's like fucking Kim Jong Un in the interview. Let's talk about Hypnos, played by Giancarlo Esposito. I would say a pretty good performance. God of Sleep and Death's Brother. A gr- very, very locked. Uh, unsurprisingly for him, he's a really committed actor. Yes. Very locked in. He's in the pocket. Yeah, he's good. He's in the pocket is exactly how to put it. And he, he knows it, he's at the exact right pitch with this movie. He looks incredible. He's got devil horns and a goatee and red skin, much like Satan. Furry little goat legs. He's got yes. He's in this contraption that was a nightmare. I think. Can you to read inside this of. quote, please? Yeah, I will. I mean, it just—I really feel for him. How do you? De- can you describe it, Griffin? Because I'm sure not every listener will see Monkey Bone. Like he, like what, like what he looks like. Yeah. Well, he he looks. I guess he's sort of supposed to be like a satyr, right? Uh, S a t y r. Yes. So it's like. This fat little body, he's got, you know, Giancarlo's head, and right. sort of a constructed body, and then these tiny little hoof feet. He looks like Phil, the Dan DeVito character from Hercules, except he's wearing like a little ska blazer. He's like made out like the, the Danny Elfman devil from Forbidden Zone. Sure, yeah. He's got this sort of expressionistic makeup and then like a furry little belly feet and tush. You say not everybody will have seen this flick, but like, how do you listen to this episode and not go fire this up? I mean, this is the I mean how do you, at least how do you watch resist the, the siren song of having to like, I watched it seven. You can crank out one, bud. Come on. <laughs> there are times we talk about a movie on this podcast and we go, look, our listeners don't need to watch this. Maybe this episode serves as a substitute for spending the time watching this movie. I implore everyone to watch this film. I truly do. I think this is a film that needs to be seen. Whether you like it or not, I don't think you will regret having spent the time putting it in You your can brain. rent it. You yeah. don't need to buy it. Although it's a clean 10 yeah, bucks on renter. iTunes. I did buy it. I personally bought it. Yeah. You yeah, bought, it? bought it, David? Uh, it's a write-off. I, I'll own money. Yeah, I almost, I almost tried to get the out of print Blu-ray, bad. which goes for $75 on eBay. That's insane. That yeah. that would actually be a cry for help if you bought that. Okay. 
Uh, Giancarlo Esposito says, I put on a green jumpsuit so the effects people have an exact outline for removing mm-hmm. my real legs. Next, I put on a 25-pound rig that creates a stomach and breast. I had to pitch my own body forward to allow the body I'm carrying to hang straight down. Then I got into knee pads because I was walking on the very tips of my knees to get my upper body to project forward. I've never had to integrate the kind of physicality into a body that's not mine. It was exhausting, so I need a lot of rest between shots. But hey, you got to make Monkey Bone and be in it. (laughs) At the end of it, Monkey Bones, you can't argue with it. This is one of those movies where you just, and it's not necessarily a good thing, although it does make it more impressive as an object. You can feel the effort in every millisecond, every inch of this movie. Like, nothing in this film feels easy, you know? And I feel like a lot of stuff like this, like, you hear about the Muppets and they're like, well, we, the puppeteers, put ourselves in really difficult positions to make these things feel natural and casual so that when you watch Kermit riding a bike, you don't even think about it. You accept it. And this, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, this must have hurt so much. You can't stop thinking about the strain and the toil of all of it. But that's, I think that that's like, a key differentiator when you're when you're looking at again to call it Nightmare Before Christmas, where all those things are in support of an effect. Yes, to an extent where you don't necessarily start pulling at the seams when you're watching it. It's like this incredible like wash because it's all serving this one thing that's like working together. And I I feel like you can feel that effort from every aspect of the of this film. Because it's not congealing. In right. The same way. There, there's no sort of cohesive thread. And even when you get to the sequences that are purely live action without any Selicky stuff, as you said, the performances are all so loud. Like it just, everyone is going so big and doing so much. Uh, other than Bridget Fonda. Of course. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. other than Bridget Fonda, actually. But okay. All right. So, all right. So, Hypnos is in charge of downtown, mm-hmm. right? Right. That's his realm. He invites them to his swanky nightmare party. They have a sort of, yes, Merovingian-esque party. Right. Um, and uh, he explains that to get out of his coma before he dies, he's going to need to steal an exit pass mm-hmm. from death herself. Yes, right. Played, of course, by Whoopi Goldberg. Who um, I, I remembered being uncredited in this film does in fact get and Whoopi Goldberg in the opening credits was completely absent from all marketing on this movie. I wonder if that was a contractual demand because it feels she may weird. have seen the cut and be like, please don't yeah. mention that I'm in this. I think she's pretty good at it. I do too. I do too. I think she is similarly locked in. It's kind of a yeah, it, but it's not that funny a performance even. No. You know, she's just kind of like doing it. She feels yeah. comfortable. She, she feels, feels comfortable, yeah. comfortable in a way that the other people aren't. Right? Whoopi yeah. at least feels like a professional that can is is I I have this. It's okay. I'm not going to try as hard as everybody else. It's like a, a, a welcoming presence. It's the uh, the the cool guest room at the party that nobody is in, where you just sit and breathe for a second. Real steady hand. You're right. She's maybe the only performance that doesn't feel like it's taking a tremendous amount of effort. You feel like she just showed up, reported to set in this outfit, felt at home in the set, you know? But but it, it just remains so odd to me where you're like, this movie is so hard to sell. Fox is so terrified of this thing. I cannot believe they had the restraint to not put Whoopi Goldberg on the fucking poster and in the trailer unless she was like, I will fucking sue you if anyone who doesn't pay to see this movie knows that I'm in it. <laughs> anyway, um, what happens next? They attempt 
to steal the guest uh, the exit pass. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but when they do this, Monkey Bone is the one who gets uses it to enter Stu's body. Yeah. And it is later revealed that this was all some sort of like complicated con that Hypnos was in on. Right. I don't remember why. He wants Stu but, oh, because down they need there. Stu to be down there to like, you know, come up with cool nightmare ideas. And it's revealed that Stephen King is another person who has fallen prey to this scheme and his dog is actually in his body or whatever. Yeah, basically they set up that like all the what what's the fucking animal thing in the uh, Golden Compass and Dark Materials? Uh, Damon, yeah. Yeah, it's like basically all these great creative minds have a Damon who is their like right. unconscious, like unbridled id who have been swapping out with these guys. So like Edgar Allan Poe's down there. The Edgar Allan Poe that we knew was actually a raven in his body. Stephen King is now actually Cujo writing these novels while he's stuck down in Hypno's lair. And then some of the other people are not artists. They are yeah. like Attila the Hun and Lizzie Borden and Jack the Ripper. Yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense. It's also so distracting that all those people are dead except for Stephen King. Yes. And it's like, why did the you Stephen pick, King why did you pick him? No sense. It's it the wildest. No sense. It's It may be the wildest edition in a film that is like all wild editions. It is, it is baffling to me. He's played by a guy called John Bruno, who's just kind of made up to look like Stephen King. He's got like glasses and long hair. He comes on, he looks like Stephen King. He's doing a weird impression. He introduces himself as Steve. You're like, oh, is that like a funny little in-joke? And then they underline it so hard. He's like, yes, I'm right. Stephen King, the writer. Cujo is in my body. <laughs> he writes the books now. In the real world, though, it bears mentioning that at the same time concurrent with this, he's in a coma. His sister, Kimmy, Megan Mullally, wants to yep. pull the plug. Desperate. Because it's so sweaty. Like their dad had a long drawn out battle before dying. So they promised each other that uh, they would, I guess, pull the plug on each other. But she gives him three months uh, to, to come back. Yeah. It also feels like she wants monkey bone residuals, but that's never made explicit. Like she sort of. I wonder has, if that in that extended cut, this yeah. is like fleshed yeah, it's out hard a bit to more. Tell Right, what her motivations are. Because the dad thing feels like kind of an excuse, and there's something so craven about her where you're like, there has to be some gain to her pulling the plug. But uh, during this period of time, Bridget Fonda and her friend discover the uh, proposal he had set up at the home mm -hmm. that he was going to give her the family heirloom ring. Uh, she refuses to give up on him. She explains the whole thing of how she met him and the nightmare dream and the switching hands and all that sort of shit. Um, His nightmare, the art style is really cool. It's really cool. I don't even know how to really describe it. It's like uh, very different from anything else in the movie. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm in the, uh, recording this episode in Rochester, New York, where the local delicacy here is the garbage plate. It's true. <laughs> Which basically came out of like Greasy Spoon diners and, uh, you know, bar food places just dumping every extra leftover bit they had in a plate. And it's truly just like ground beef and like chopped up chicken fingers and like cheese and gravy and mozzarella. It's like it's truly that. And the visual aesthetic of this movie is very garbage plate. It's a lot of stuff. I like all of these things separately. 
Have you had a good garbage plate yet? I've been waiting because I, uh, I have yeah. to be on camera. I'm wrapping yeah. on Monday and I'm going to eat five garbage plates. But but it does feel like, yeah, everything in this movie I like the look of. And sometimes when those things are next to each other, it makes your brain short circuit. Whereas the nightmare sequences are cohesive. For those 15 seconds, there's like a a, a singular sensibility. So, so they're going to pull the plug and... <laughs> Julie Julie McElroy comes up with this great plan. She's like, "Listen, I know he's gonna come right now, but we gotta try something because the sister's gonna pull the plug." Here's how I propose: Why don't we jack him full of nightmares? <laughs> <laughs> no way! I need a clean take on that, please. You're one, right. You're one, right. One you're right. Why don't we jack him full of nightmare juice? Because <laughs> I know about this nightmare juice, and I know he's trapped in a prison of his own thought. But what I'm saying is. Maybe we chuck him full of nightmare juice, and and someone's like, "Will that bring him back?" She's like, "Eh, I don't know. I mean, you you gotta hope, but I'm gonna just gonna chuck a bunch of nightmare juice into this dude." Yes, I believe she's like, yeah, like half a cc is what I've done. She's like, "Great, let's yeah. do five, and then just goes like five, you know. It's also this odd point in the movie though, where you're like momentarily wondering, "Am I supposed to be taking downtown literally at all? Is this just like sort of?" a depiction of his internal life while he's in this coma, what he's imagining versus it being a real place with these real rules. The more she jacks him full of nightmare juice, the more the world sort of like shakes around him and then Monkey Bone escapes. And then you're like, no, I think I'm literally supposed to believe that this is Monkey Bone in his body. Mm -hmm. Not that this like broke something in his brain, you know? Yeah, so there's two threads obviously after this happens and one is up in the real world. Monkey Bone has become Stu. Mm-hmm. and turns into a little soul patch motherfucker who causes trouble. Yeah. Right? And it's like green lighting, bad merch. There's the whole pig anus thing with the uh, fast food. But what is his deal? Like, what is... like? I don't know. I couldn't Stinker. tell you what it, he's going for and what, what, no. like, what this performance is trying to telegraph. It's like, it makes no sense. Even just the the sort of putting the Kool-Aid in the farting monkey bone plushes and trying to spray them in people's faces, not having seen this movie in close to 20 years, I remembered there being some sort of reason for that. Like, oh, he's trying to, like, dose people with something to trick them well, into doing is, something. Uh, he's filling the... He wants... Okay, so... <laughs> He was, he, oh. he gets to, okay. Justin so, took so, in a lot of breath just now. Okay. Just real quick. Yeah. So what happens is monkey bone goes to the upper world and he takes over the Brendan Fraser's body and he's enjoying the fruits of his labor, right? Right. He's, he's enjoying the money and the fame and the popularity and all that stuff. And, uh, hypnos pulls him into a nightmare and he's like, Hey, idiot. You're up here to make nightmares. Oh, right, get the nightmare right. juice. Yes, yes. And so they get right. the nightmare juice. Yes. And he puts Sorry. it in the toys. He's trying to create nightmares. He's trying to create nightmares. He's going to spray a bunch of socialites with nightmare juice. At, I watched with, this this morning. The toys fart. They fart right. uh, like uh, a chemical out anyway. So it's going to be that. Right. The toys got the thumb up its plastic butthole. And when you take it out, it yeah. sprays in your face. Yes. Which Dave Foley demonstrates. This is how Dave Foley gets sprayed by it. He just blasts his face with the monkey fart just to see what happens. This is literally all the thought this guy puts into is like, let's see what's up with this. This is the line. Let's see what's up with this chemical particulate. And he blasts himself in the face. 
<laughs> it's not an accident. It's not. He's leaning against a wall and blasts himself. Also, I love like future drugs. I think this is how yeah. people should do drugs in a movie. Is to get farted from a toy monkey. <laughs> out, out of monkey bones specifically. Yeah, specifically. It, it is funny that in the in the context of this movie, I think this toy, the farting monkey bone plush, is positioned as if everyone believes it's going to be Tickle Me Elmo. Yeah. Like, they take it out of a case. It glows like the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. The code name is Jack Horner because he puts his thumb up his own butthole. Right, but they're like, this is the moneymaker. This is the thing that's going to transform the world. And then he views it as the vehicle to fill the world with nightmares, a thing I forgot even though I finished watching this movie an hour and a half ago. <laughs> um, anyway, so so uh, up, upstairs in the real world, uh, monkey stew is being bad. And then down in uh, the underworld, uh, Stu is trying to escape and he gets the help of Miss Kitty, a cat mm -hmm. girl played by mm -hmm. uh, Rose McGowan. And he's trying to, I guess, confront and outwit death played by Whoopi Goldberg. I also want to shout out Thomas Hayden Church, who is yes. uncredited as her Correct. assistant, but is quite funny and is in kind of cool makeup. Like kabuki yeah. makeup. But I guess this was like, like major wilderness years for Thomas Hayden Church, right? Like I guess that's the it's, only. It's way probably to post think about wings, it. right? I mean, oh, it's way, way post, post wings. wings. Yeah, yeah, pre sideways post wings. Well, because he's the villain in Georgia the Jungle, and this feels like three short years later, him begging Fraser, like, "Do you have anything in your new movie?" Yeah, you got. I, I believe you do, right. We talked about this in our Spider-Man Three episode. He is the only actor who returned for George of the Jungle 2. The only one direct to video and that's the same year that Sideways comes out. Well, that's that's tough, but you know what? He's in the one of the most successful films ever made, so I'm monkey glad he's bump. bouncing back. Yeah, Monkey Bone. I'm referring to Monkey Bone, yep. of course. Um, so what can, how, how it's very tough to describe what the fuck is going on in the, in downtown. They also just, they cut back to downtown pretty rarely. Like once again, it feels yeah. like they removed all the most expensive Selicky stuff from this movie, or at least whittled it down to as little as possible. they do cut down there, I don't know what's going on, but I'm at least like super engaged by yes. it. Yes. Like that's how I right. feel about it all. I don't really understand how he ends up into, in Chris Catan. But I'm I'm also just kind of like whatever, man. Like I just like looking at this. Death gives him a shot because she's yeah. a fan of the comic. So he goes up there and they're stretching him out. He's like, she's like, actually, I love your shit. Get get out there. You get one chance. She's also she loves love. She's a big softy. Yeah. He makes his plea about Doctor Julie. He tells her that she's got a loose caboose, and Death get Death gives him a flyer. Yeah. So he gets to go back in the body of Chris. Chris Kattan, who is an organ donor, who's on the poster. What, were you, what do you want to say, Griff? No, Ben, just set the clock. Uh, we're going to devote 30 minutes to Kattan talk here because this is maybe the best comedic performance of the 2000s. I refuse to do that. I'm going to give you five. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this. I will I'll say, say this. He is fucking up the curve. It may not be the best, but in terms of like you're watching a peak rise over the rest, it's like he's definitely doing a lot of work there. He's earning I, his paycheck. Can I read your text, Justin? Sure. 
You said, I just never get tired of watching Chris Kattan load an entire movie onto his shoulders like Jesus hauling his own cross to Golgotha and dragging it against its will to watchability. He's not the thermostat performance. He's the solar-powered space heater FEMA issued you after the tornado. That's how I feel. When you see, there's also a little bit of, I'm also conflating the experience of seeing Chris Kattan with the experience of almost being done with the movie. So like, I mean, at sure. that point, it's like, I'm, I'm coasting into home. Here's my thing. I say this with, I think he's really funny in this. I think like mm-hmm. he's, he's making, have I ever really liked Chris Kattan in anything else? Were you a fan of Kattan during the SNL days? No, no, I was wow. not. Rude. I'm sorry. Corky yeah, Romano. I'm sorry. You guys want some cookies? I don't think I've ever. But you know what, Griffin? You doing that voice? Yeah, is, all is a great reminder of how when Chris Kattan would be doing something, I would usually be like, oh, I don't like this. His vocal mannerisms are all in this movie meant to emulate Brendan Fraser. Yeah. And it's not like an overt like impression. He just it kind of seems like Brendan Fraser is in his body a little bit. It's it's a little bit uncanny. It's pretty fucking impressive. At moments, yeah. I I was asking myself, did Fraser dub over his dialogue? And then you realize, like, no, it's Catan doing a straight man Fraser impression. Yeah. Like, doing just his sort of most neutral state, who's not a guy you could think to impersonate. It yeah. is, this is what I find fascinating about this performance. I, I loved Catan on SNL at the time. You loved Catan. So you I loved did. what, Mango? Yeah, all of that. I mean, what? I guess, I'm, yeah, I'm Mr. Watching, Peepers, the whole bit. Right, I'm like, Mr. I'm Mr. two Peepers, years uh, younger than what's, you, uh, so I'm watching Night him the I'm like nine. Well, yeah, so like Night at the Roxbury, he's he's mostly doing like fucking physical Jerry Lewis, like. That, that shit is funny. Insane shit. But I don't think of that as even him, really. It's just the two of them, and I think, I don't know, for some, like, those are funny. Those are funny. But he was like very much kind of the guy on SNL at that moment in time. Like, I, I think there was a, a lot of excitement around him. There's the whole monologue in Nope that's about sort of like Katan, yeah, how yeah, much right. people you just can't believe Catan, the energy, the fucking physical shit. He did. Mr. Peeper's eating the apple, like that kind of shit. But it, he was one of those guys, Seth Meyers, I saw some interview with him where he was talking about like, why do you think some people succeed in SNL and, and don't succeed afterwards in their career? And he was like, Catan is an example for me of a guy who just like absolutely crushed it on that show but his skill set is so perfectly suited to that show that it's hard to transfer it to anything else. And they do the Night the Roxbury movie where he's ostensibly the straight man. Like, Will Ferrell is the big dummy in that movie. Right. And Catan is kind of playing the normal romantic lead of the film. I think he's kind of good in it. I'm a Roxbury defender. That, that movie's fun. I mean, whatever. Yeah. But Corky Romano is one of those movies where you're like, you cannot build a movie around him. You cannot do this. His persona does not sustain for an hour and a half on its own. You cannot have Manic Catan for this long. Monkey Bone feels like the perfect way to apply Chris Catan in a movie where you're like, just give him 15 minutes and go as hard as he fucking can with his he's body. He's a special effect, right? I mean, Absolutely, he's, he's, yes. It, and, and I think that that's what is, I think his performance makes the, the rest of it harder to swallow because you see 
him using a skill set to the goal of comedy. Like, I, this is someone who knows how to get a laugh. He know, and he's bringing that the full force of that to getting a laugh. The rest of it is is other people using the full force of their talents, but they don't know how to get to where they're going. So it feels a little bit more desperate. Whereas he, I think it's a very uh, 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 egoless performance, right? Yes. It's not, he's yeah. not trying to throw yeah. the, it on himself. He's like, I, I am the, the, the VFX known as Chris Kattan, and I'm going to uh, uh, bring all of that energy for the time I have been given. The most impressive thing to me is that in those moments where he's trying to appeal to Julie, doing a Brennan Fraser impression he plays it pretty fucking straight. Like, yeah. he understands that Bridget Fonda is taking this movie way too seriously. And after all his goofy running, when he shows up to her face-to-face, -face, he has to speak to her like a real human being. And he actually does, for a couple of minutes, make a pretty good go at being, like, a stand-in for a romantic leading He's man. He's got a better chemistry he with does. Bridget Fonda he does. than Brendan Fraser does. It's wild. Like, Catan's coming in so hot in this movie that you're like, but it's going to fall apart when he has to make the emotional plea. And then he nails the emotional plea. He's just, he's yes. on fire in this thing. He is very good. Maybe it is that he's, like, almost, like, acting with three hands behind his back, right? Like, that, that, that maybe that's exactly how you unlock him. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe it's just, like you say, that it's just the kind of, like, look, you got 10 minutes here, Chris. Like, you the, know. Like, the physical comedy, too, he feels more like monkey bones energy. Yes. Like, like, like Brendan, I, I don't know. It's like, he's, I don't know. There's just something about the overtop nature of it that I'm like, Oh, he actually is kind of selling this in a way that I'm like, Ben's close. Ben's close to the truth. that was revealed to me on watch number four. This movie <laughs> should start Chris Kattan. Yeah. With yeah. Chris Kattan as monkey yeah. bone. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you put Chris Kattan in the lead role, you got Chris Kattan as monkey bone, have John Turturro as the corpse. Then you got a film going. This is now my argument. Yeah, because once Catan nails the Julie plea, I'm like, he could have done the whole thing. Look, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. If Chris Catan is in this movie instead of Brendan Fraser, the budget is probably half the size at most. Yes. So that's good for it. Smaller yes. budget, better for this movie. Yeah. The second thing, I mean no disrespect to Brendan Fraser. I think we all basically think that guy can be really an incredible performer. Yeah, but I do agree that yes, he's sort of it's no, it's too rude to call him the problem because that again acts like monkey bone is something where like, ah, just one extra sprocket here. You know, it's not. But yes, there's a world where that movie makes more sense. Now, would it have made any uh, American cash dollars at the multiplex? No, no, no. Yeah, no. but guess what? This version didn't either. Yeah, no, of course not. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Catan was a lot more heavily promoted than than Whoopi was. I mean, Catan was on a lot of the posters. Well, it's uh, he's on the posters. The yes. main poster was like Fraser with downtown behind him and all the creatures coming out as sort of like menagerie of just all the Selicky imagery. And then they like pivot late, and the poster becomes what is now the DVD cover of just Fraser, Fonda, Catan, and and like Catan is sort of the thing they're trying to spotlight, which. I get it. No monkey bone on the poster. Or I guess he's in the corner, maybe. But it makes it look like an SNL movie. And I mean that it in does. a bad way. It, I remember some interview with Melania a million years ago. I'm just thinking about Catan now. 
Romolini. It's like, you know, people tell you, oh, you know, comedy, it's all about like, you know, you want to write to the biggest audience. And he's like, but then again, the hottest character on SNL when I was a teenager was a male exotic dancer who tries to steal people's, you know, partners, essentially. Like, Mango is the strangest. It's like, it's inspired by like Marlena Dietrich or whatever. Like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense that that, that was a big deal. But it was. It was like the hottest thing. You can't have the mango, right? I, I was misremembering this. So what it was, the poster was at one point, there's the original poster I described. Then there's like a foreign poster that's Fraser in monkey bone, sort of like big lapel, shiny jacket mode. And then yes. Rose McGowan in sexy kitty mode. And monkey bone standing between them holding two bananas, one in each hand like they're guns. And then yep. that was replaced for the DVD with Catan filling in. They So it's Fraser Fonda Catan above the title, no Fonda on poster, Catan holding himself up. That's the shit for me. The, just the opening Catan chunk of him waking up on the bed and figuring out how to move, like taping himself together, finding the the big like ruler that he can tape to his neck to keep his head upright. That shit is unbelievable. So good. Fantastic. I'm just going to read uh, the Wikipedia summary of the <laughs> end of this film. I'm just going to read I'm sorry. it aloud. Okay? I'm sorry. It's like four I'm sorry. sentences. I'm sorry. David, David, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want you to do this, but Justin just shared a file in the Zoom. I need you to open it and describe I what it, it is. People love the segment. David tries to describe a poster, and this is a really good one. It's oh, what? No, this isn't real. This can't be real. <laughs> what is this? It looks like the the, Fr the French uh, cover. It's from Cinematerial.com. Yeah, that <laughs> website. Uh, this is yeah. Okay, so it says Brendan Fraser, Bridget Fonda, Whoopi Goldberg. Uh huh. The, you know, is that the, the and then you've got. Uh, the elephant creature, the sort of Ganesh character, yes. right? Is that how you describe player. it? Uh-huh. Uh, who's being like sort of, you know, there's like multiple images of... of it looks like they're in a kaleidoscope or whatever. There's them. like a, yeah. Uh, in a sort of nightmarish Lynchian collage. It, it looks uh, very Lost behind, Highway. Yes. Behind Brendan Fraser, who's entirely washed out. Very Lynchian in general. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it says, Monkey Bone, Bienvenue chez les Tunes. So, welcome to Cartoon House. Yes. Yes. Uh, and film to Henry Selleck. Yeah, it looks it looks like a Lynch movie in this poster. Yes. It's a very nice poster. Uh, much better than whatever Rose McGowan and, you know, Monkey Bone. Like, we should get that poster framed for our offices. Here, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Here's the uh, here's the <laughs> description of the final act of the film. Stu uh -huh. makes it to the banquet while Monkey Bone is about to propose to Julie, while Herb, that's uh, Dave Foley, is exposed to the the one Eric's in the Monkey Bone doll and sees his clothes coming to life in a mirror, causing him to strip naked and flee in panic. Stu finally confesses his love. Of course, when we say Stu, we mean Chris Catan, possessed uh -huh. by Stu, and regrets to Julie. Uh, his love and regrets to Julie for never getting a chance to propose to her. Stu manages to use Monkey Bone's origin characteristics what? Cause him to panic. What? Which culminates in the two of them battling one another on a giant Monkey Bone balloon which is shot down by a police officer causing the duo to fall from the sky back to downtown. 
where the citizens cheer on Stu and Monkey Bone's fight as they descend from the sky before being caught by a giant robot controlled by death. Monkey Bone is then placed back in Stu's mind by death, claiming it is where he belongs before she sends Stu back to his proper body. What? But also, he's a little vanilla without the monkey. She has to smush Monkey Bone back into his brain. In there, right. Once Stu is back in his body, he and Julie reunite in Shericus as the still-infected Herb emerges from a nearby fountain telling everyone to remove their clothes. So you're welcome. Nothing nothing is learned. Nothing <laughs> that, is that is the important that thing. That is like, a good point. Nothing is learned. And you know what? It wasn't his fault. No. Yeah, it's it's his fault. Brandon Fraser doesn't make peace with this side of himself. He doesn't like learn to accept it. The two don't connect. There's no relationship between him and his, you know, the the ego and the id. It's a nut like it is, I mean, <laughs> ham fisted in the sense that death squishes them back together and says, I don't know. I thought we had a point, but I guess we don't. Back to Earth with you. Go no, on. No, the plot of this movie is just like he gets in a car accident and some fucked up shit happens to him. That's it. There's no, yeah, he didn't do anything wrong. From Bridget Fonda's perspective, this is the film. I realized this on Watch 3. She gets in a car <laughs> with his boyfriend. Her boyfriend's in a coma. She chock, chocks him so full of nightmare juice that it makes him insane. <laughs> Okay, that's what happens from her perspective. She doesn't know about Monkey Bone in the body. It makes him into like a pickup artist. Right. She jacks him so full of nightmare juice that it makes him insane. Later, a corpse comes to her and helps her realize. <laughs> Later, a corpse comes to her, which she didn't put any nightmare juice into. So that's kind of confusing to her. And then, and then she falls in love with the corpse. But luckily, the corpse fights her old boyfriend hanging from ropes, tossing organs at each other. They both die. And that fixes the everything. That fixes everything. <laughs> the, that, that's her movie. That's her journey. My wife said, as she watched 30 seconds of it between her fingers, like, does the character have, does, the, does uh, Julie McElroy have any characteristics? Like, no, she can't have a character because think about the absolutely insane experience that she's been having. <laughs> like, this is this has been a really weird few months for her. Whoever she was before this, she's never going to be that person again. Yeah, she, that person is gone. There is no more. That yeah. Dr. McElroy is behind her. Man, mo Monkey Bone, my man. Monkey wow. Bone. Monkey Bone was released on February 23rd, 2001. It grossed $2.6 million domestically on its opening weekend. Uh, and then it legged that out to 5.4 million total. So really, <laughs> you know, they, yeah, they really got, they got less than a black hat, less than a black hat. I don't think it even had a two multiplier <laughs> with its $2 million opening. Uh, no, maybe, I think it maybe just legged out past a two X multiplier. Uh, it's one of Hollywood's most notorious flops of the 21st century. Uh, Fox apparently only ran a single print advertisement for the film during the week before its opening. Wow. Uh, uh, so basically, yes, as you said, Griffin, it was like October, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Martin Luther King Day. And then eventually they were like, I don't fucking know. Just drop it. I guess they did run ads for it on comedy or on uh, Cartoon Network uh, because apparently p parents complaining about the ads that they were running on Cartoon Network is what led them to create Adult Swim. They could have an evening block. Really? Adult that's what I that this is what I've 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 read uh online, but I don't know how reliable the IMDB trivia page is. That is wild. I did hear that. Um is this the biggest bomb you guys have ever covered? Like uh, bomb is such a relative term, but like in terms of like gross for a major studio movie, is anything lower? It might mm, 
It's up there. I mean, that's that's why we always cite Black Hat because Black Hat's question. like ninety Black million dollar budget, seven million dollar gross. But this is this is close to that. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good question. Like, what are the? I'm sure you know what fans figure it out. Yeah, I'm sure there's a few uh, that are kind of in that realm. Well, be a good Reddit Fred. A.O. Scott called it the best comedy of 2001, although he was pointing out that the the year was only eight weeks old and the only competition was Head Over Heels and Saving Silverman. But he still kind of liked it. Better to say that it's a welcome antidote to the epidemic of witless, frenetic, secondhand low comedies that gnaw at our brains like antibody-resistant... What is this word? Spirochettes? Antibody spirochettes. Spiro yeah, he said, if you feel Lord. numbed and dumbed by the onslaught of overblown scattershot mediocrities like Saving Silverman, Little Nicky, and Scary Movie, think of Monkey Bone as a homeopathic cure. Coherence is not amongst its virtues, but its overstuffed look and lurching rhythm result from an effort by Mr. Selleck and the screenwriter Sam Hamm to make room for too many good ideas rather than struggling to compensate, as is too often the case, for having none at all. It's quite a review. Fair. Uh, I, I, it's, a fun, it's a fun review. This is another incredible line. He goes, uh, imagine if, if uh, Louis Bonwell had returned from the grave and hooked up with the Fairley brothers with access to $50 million worth of foam rubber and modeling clay. That is describing the vibe of Monkey Bone yeah. in a way. Yes. yes. I'm not sure it describes what would happen if that happened. You no. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but but I like I like the thinking. Yeah, mostly bad reviews, uh, no money. Should we play the box office game? I think we should. Yes. Ben wants out. Okay. Well, it opened outside of the top 10, I'm sorry to say. It opened at number 11. Insane. In February. In February. Uh, no 23rd. competition. It really didn't. The only other film, there's only other one new movie this week, and we're going to talk about it, and it's a famous bomb. Number one at the box office, Griffin, is a uh, horror sequel, a massive hit. It's in its third week. It's made $128 million. Uh, it's Hannibal? It's Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Mm -hmm. Which was um, a, a release, surprising... Released less than a year after Gladiator. A truly yeah. insane achievement. Yeah, he hasn't even won his best picture yet. Exactly. Um, and it, it came out and it made a ton of money. Right, because Silence of the Lambs was released in January. It's like, at this point in time, no one's releasing big movies in February. That was odd to release it then. Uh, it was, and yet it opened three weeks ago to $58 million in 2001. Huge opening. That would be a yeah. healthy opening now. Yes. So Hannibal crushing competition at number one. It uh, will be knocked off its perch next week by Gore Verbinski's The Mexican. Mm. Good movie. A good movie. Um, number yeah. two at the box office is a comedy remake. Comedy remake, two thousand and one, February. Uh, this is not the new release. This has been out for a little bit already. It's been out for two weeks. This is its second week. It's made thirty three million dollars on its way to sixty four. Hint: hmm. This film was directed by a frequent guest of the well known but little liked film podcast blank check with griffin and david this is the <laughs> well described <laughs> this is a movie that i believe i saw two times in theaters i've somehow never uh -huh. talked about this with chris but i i was a very big fan of uh, chris rocks down to earth 
This is a fun movie. It is Chris is Rock's Down movie. to Earth. Yes. Um, yes. A remake of, of like Heaven Can Chris Wait. Rock is correct. Chris Rock is a movie star. Mm-hmm. Give him some movies. I've just been watching him on in Fargo. It's great. Oh, I never saw that season of Fargo. Oh, it's good. I just got Fargo I got very late brain, start. Justin. Well, I've been watching a lot of Fargo. I would have finished Fargo by now, David, had I not watched Monkey Bone seven times. Yeah. You asked me, did you finish and did you watch Andor? I didn't watch Andor. I watched Monkey Bone seven times. It's a shame you have to, to watch it three more times after this episode ends, too. Yeah. Why did you guys tell me I had to? We, we, well, what's clear is that we did. Griff just sent a bunch of Monkey Bone toys. These to were the, the only chat. toys that were actually that produced. But when we finished the box office game, I just want to call them out quickly. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, number three at the box office is a new release this week. It is a famous flop. Uh, Razzie hmm. winner, or at least not. Okay. Just a nominee. Nominated for five Razzies. Uh, big star vehicle for a major star who's maybe in a little trouble around now. Uh, is this is, is this Get Carter? No. That is a good guess, though. Okay. He slides Stallone, of course, and this is not a Stallone picture. This is a serious... A-list star, Oscar winner, um, was kind it's of not the biggest Costner. Thing. It is Kevin Costner. Huh, huh. Okay, two thousand one Costner flop. It's not Message in a Bottle. No, it's not Dragonfly. I think that's two thousand two. It might be. It's two thousand one. It's not five hundred miles to Graceland. Well, you better add another 2,500 miles, my friend, because it was 3,000 miles okay. to Graceland. Wow. Uh, Kevin Costner, Kurt Russell, they're Elvis impersonators who rob someone in Vegas or something? They rob Correct. Elvis convention? David Arquette and Courtney Cox Arquette. Correct. Christian Slater, Kevin Pollock. I've never seen it. No. Sounds good. Uh, I mean, it sounds yeah. really... There's no way it's as good as it sounds, because that sounds good. I'd, it I'd does sound movie. Good. It good. does sound like a fun idea. I also I've believe it's that. like a first-time director who then never directed a yes. movie ever again. It's someone with like not a Wikipedia page. Yes. It's, that's how anonymous the director, writer and director is. Uh okay. Number four at the box office Griffin is a cartoon. Huh. Is it a Disney? Yes, but it's an adaptation of a TV show. Right. Is it uh uh Recess Schools Out? That's right. That is the correct title, right? You you, you nailed it. What a pun. Great. Thank you. Uh, Recess Schools Out. What do, you, what do you think the final total on Recess Schools Out was? I'm going to guess three monkey bones. Uh, did way better than three monkey bones. Five monkey bones? $36 million. Hey. So that's like, you know, fucking, I don't, you know, six and a half monkey bones or something. Hell seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, never seen it. Griff, did you care about that? I don't know what that is. Really. I, I remember in the movie was kind of overblown, but the series is good. I feel like uh, our, our buddy Alan Seppenwall is a big defender of Recess. Okay, fair enough. Good show. Sure. Number five at the box office in its 12th week uh, is a pure golden liquid masterpiece. We have covered it on this podcast. It is one okay. of the most incredible achievements in modern cinema. It is uh, uh, hmm. it's a, an action film. It's an action, action film. film. It's a period action film that came out when? How long has it been in theaters, you said? It came out in December 2000. Okay, so it's a, it's a 2000 holdover. It's liquid cinema. That's right. It is on its way to $128 million. At the it's Crouching Tiger, Hidden office. Dragon. The film is called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm-hmm. Good Amazing movie. movie. 
Yeah. And and one of the wildest box office runs. Yes, exactly. I had to drive to Columbus to see that movie. That's like I had to drive three hours away from my house. It wasn't showing anywhere in Huntington. Wow. I had to drive to Columbus. That to rules. See it. Right. That rules, though. Was it worth that it? That rules. Absolutely. Yeah. They had big yeah. chairs. Yeah, movie movies should be more difficult to see. This is my new stand. Justin's like, didn't remember the film, but uh, these chairs, my God. Great drive. You. All right. Yeah. Good drive, good chairs. Some other films in the top 10. Steven Soderbergh's mm-hmm. Traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Soderbergh jumps off the Selleck train and gets on to uh, uh, a bit of a, a bit more of a high-speed train. Okay, the winning Oscars seven. Sweet train. November. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweet November. Now that, I always confused with the other one, Autumn in New York. Two movies right. about romance ending in death. Sweet I November think. is Keanu uh, Charlize and Autumn in New York is right. Gear Winona. That's right. You nailed okay. it on both. Uh, Great. Never seen Sweet November. Probably one of the rare Keanu's I've never seen. Yeah. Uh, number eight, Chocolat. You will believe that a town eats chocolate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, one of the craziest movies ever made. A nice lady moves to a French town and makes chocolate, and they act like she has brought drugs to their streets. They're Everyone like, you can't loses have chocolate here. Their fucking mind. Uh, Alfred Molina makes his uh, performance from the previous year as literal snidely whiplash look muted and sensitive. Uh, <laughs> yes, a crazy Molina performance as the town's chocolate-hating mayor, or burgermeister, it's, whatever it's the fuck. It's flash dance with chocolate. It is yes. an insane movie. It was nominated for best picture. Number nine at the box office, The Wedding Planner. Uh-huh. Uh huh. With McConaughey and Lopez, bad movie. I hate to say it. I love those two, but it's not a good movie. Sure. Number sure. ten, Castaway. Mm, Just good movie. Kicking ass. Yeah. And then r- behind all of that <laughs> is Monkey Bone. Wow. Bring it up the rear. It's me. Bring it up that big old rear. Uh yeah. That loose bring up that loose the, the, the loose caboose on that train is monkey bone. Incredibly loose. I mean, you say you've seen everything in theaters, and like it's like, all right, well, what's new this week? You had to choose between three thousand miles to Graceland and Monkey Bone. Yeah. Those are your picks. There's nothing else. Yeah, look and this is still that period where you're like, you got three best picture nominees in the top 10 in February. Yeah. Like oh, these yeah, movies yeah, yeah. would linger. Seeing this in a theater would have been too much. I th- I feel like, I feel like that would have started to get pretty upsetting if you didn't have like <laughs> a, an outside to look at every once in a while to ground yourself. <laughs> I don't know. I think it chilled me out. I think as David said, it, it, it quieted the alarm clocks. You're right. Yeah, exactly. You- like, yeah, that's what I've been thinking about. What what we just watched. I, I that's sent what's been on my mind. I sent you guys this is yeah. the, the one line of monkey bone bone toys that actually made it. These are not uh bobbleheads, although they look like it. They are bobbleheady. They're they have they're, the proportions. they're sort of Funko Pops. Yeah, yeah. Right. But they're realistically sculpted. They're not stylized other than the their heads being the same size as the rest of their body, taking up 50% of their height. Uh, And they're like small. They're like two or three inches. But the line is, of course, Stu Miley, gotta include him, Monkey Bone, Hypnos, of course, Miss Kitty, why not? And then the other two characters they included, which shows, I think what we were talking about, that they hope this would have like nightmare-esque every background character is interesting potential. There's, of course, BBQ Pig, who is the pig who yells at Stu trying to get him to buy 
a pig to eat. I want to get that toy for Ben, the pig. I think BBQ like pig? It. Yeah. I mean, I do like the pig, yeah. And then Betty Bovine is like a cow who tries to fuck him for a second, right? I believe so, yes. Basically uh, like flirts yes. with him when he first walks into downtown. So I'm going to buy when he first this. walks in there's the wolf that wants to help him with his luggage. <laughs> yes. You're you're buying a, a BBQ uh, pig for Ben? The David? likeness of, of Brendan Fraser in this, by the way, who is, they have his picture on the box, but the yeah. likeness looks like Crispin Glover having a allergic reaction. Absolutely. It is, it is, it is a wild yes. toy. I did it, recently. It is awful. I, I did recently get. It's just straight up awful. I got the Fraser and, and Hypnos and Monkey Bone. I ordered them off of eBay. I felt the need. You, you did. You, you just did. You did that already. I did you that already. That I got already. it. They've arrived. Okay, well, I don't like that, but okay. I understand. Well, you don't I look forward it. to bringing them over to our office soon. They will sit <laughs> proudly on my desk. God. I do like Ben's uh, reaction there. Uh, you don't need it. Yeah, that's true. Anyone who needs those, that uh, what's going on? Well, I need Redefine that. the and word like, need. There's no world. You'd be like, oh, yeah, you do need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin, um, as look, as I don't Monkey even Bone hate this expert. movie. I don't hate no, this movie. I, I kind of I like think it. it's kind of fun and interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I also I can't defend it, and I would never tell anyone to watch. No, but once again, I'm I I see I I would tell everyone to watch it. And I wouldn't say watch it in a like so bad it's good kind of a gog way. I just think it is it is a unique thing. It is a unique object. It is. I will say, though, there. I think we have a skewed perspective. I've thought about this. I think we have a skewed perspective because it is a very exciting movie to watch and generate ideas to talk about. Like, there's a lot that you'll want to go out and share. You'll watch this movie and want to talk about it with somebody. Watch it. Don't watch it alone. That's no. what I'm saying. You're going to have yeah. a lot of bottled up monkey bone thoughts to get out in the world. It should be a, yeah, a social yeah, yeah. activity. You know, we're all trying to reconnect. Yeah get offline and, and engage with other people in the real world, find a thing to do. And maybe the thing to do is pop open your DVD case of monkey bone, stick your finger in his butthole and watch that baby play. Right for the ride of your life. Justin, as, as the man who has watched monkey bone seven times in the span of what, what amount of time are we looking at here since the first play? I don't know. It's been a couple months, right? I mean, yeah. I, whenever you guys ask me. Uh, are there any final sort of thoughts, any stray realizations that hit you on any of the the repeat viewings that you want to throw in here? Oh, man. I feel like I've covered so much. I got Harry Knowles. I got the pizza delivery guy from Home Alone. Uh, Harry Knowles, non-speaking cameo, but a lot of screen time. Megan Mullally is is in there giving, giving her all. Uh, mm -hmm. No, it's... it's it, the odds against this movie existing are so high. That is what I can. I feel like I'm shocked that it exists in the state that it is in. It is well worth watching. It is a why. Don't watch it seven times. I feel a little bit of sadness because I. This is a chapter in my life. I'm putting. I'm never gonna watch this movie again. I'll say. Probably never talk about it. I'm a little worried that having watched it so many times, it will become a little bit of a part of of my personal brand. That's terrifying to me. Yeah, you're a boner. To, like, now. yeah, I don't want to get t-shirts in the mail. You self-identified <laughs> as such. No, it's it's fine. It's a it's a it's a very interesting movie. I'm I'm happy to have watched it. Gotta, but I'm putting that part of my life away now. There's no more, no more monkey bone for me. I'm moving on. I'm ready to talk about our next film. What's up next? How did someone let this guy make a movie again? It took a long time. It took a while. Yeah, he went to, he went to jail. And it, 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 
a very bizarre set of circumstances. I, I just want to read one other part of our text conversation. You text uh, like two days ago, Justin, uh, everybody should see Monkey Bone. It's so unlikely that Monkey Bone exists. Why hasn't everybody watched Monkey Bone? I said, that's our job with this episode to make the world know. David says to ask this question. And then David, you this morning, clearly yep. having just watched it or watched it last night, text man dot 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 monkey bone rare that something lives up to the expectation of being insane justin says monkey bone delivers all caps i'm treating myself to watch number six this morning david says number six justin says like a fine wine you really appreciate it after six of them david says or alternate theory you're drunk yeah i did a double header today sure, i had sure. six and seven both today. You watched uh, it is, twice today. Yeah, I watched it twice. I watched it when I was talking to you guys, and I felt like I missed some stuff. So I went back and gave it another watch. I think you're probably seeing things at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing a lot of good, a good, a lot of great jokes is what I'm seeing. Yeah, um, right, right. You understand? You're you're not really making the case for us ever inviting you on to talk about a canonically beloved movie. You, but that's that's fine. You got a lot of people for that. Get your Alex Ross Perry in here. Get your, get, your, get your good guess in here for that. But you may need me. Put me back up on a shelf. You know what? This isn't going to be the longest Blank Chip episode, but I bet it's the longest one that could have been made about Monkey Bone. I'll say that. A lot of other people would have talked about Monkey Bone this long. This has to be the longest podcast ever devoted to Monkey Bone, right? Ben just walked out of the room. <laughs> and okay. I, and I, I appreciate that energy right now. I'll say I, I'm with him and I understand him. Buy the man a barbecue pig. Yes. Justin, thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you for hey, taking the you. assignment seriously. Thanks for yes. having me. Come back soon, Justin. You're the yeah, best. Your gentleman and scholar and monkey bone, of course, is an inextricable part of your personality now. Do you want to plug any of your 18 podcasts? When is this going live? Uh, this uh, is going live soon. December 15th. Is that right? Oh, perfect. We're doing uh, uh, yeah, Candle December. Nights is our live uh, streaming show uh, that you can watch. All the money goes to charity. And uh, it, it has lots of great guests. Uh, uh, I know, Connor. But December 11th to be. Perfect. Yes. Uh, yeah, December 17th. Is Perfect. It's happening at 9 p.m., but it's on VOD for uh, uh, a couple weeks afterwards. If you go to bit.ly forward slash candle nights 2022, it's just a big holiday special with lots of guests and fun. It's got skits. The tickets are five bucks and you can get more and all the money goes to charity. So uh, check it totally out. Let's also say, because this happened in between uh, uh, the, the last time you were on the show and now, when we did our first George Lucas talk show live stream at like chaos point in the pandemic, trying to raise money for the uh, former UCB staff who were out of jobs when the theater shut down and we were like struggling to make it to our uh, goal, you swooped in at the last second like Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon and made a very, very generous uh, donation that went a really long way. And more importantly, allowed us to stop the live stream, which we could not end until was, we hit that Yeah, number. it was an act of mercy. And I mean... We had been away for 36 to, hours at that point. You don't even need to say anything because you thanked me in the most profound way you could by getting me to watch and talk about Monkey Bone. Mm, yeah. I'm just laughing. <laughs> a, doom, a doom man's laugh. I will say this. Because we've had this problem in the past. I don't need to say it. Uh, listeners will fill in with whatever answer they want. But there are times in the past that a guest has picked a movie 
we get to the record and we find out the guest hates the movie. Yeah. And we're either surprised, taken aback by I'll, the fact... I'll throw a director at him. They'll be like, this movie, please. And we just and assume... Like, if oh, you must love it. You answered so quickly and so passionately. And then we find out either they had never seen the movie before or saw it and disliked it. And that was never expressed to us. And we get on the episode and the person just wants to bag on the movie. And it's it's it can be a rough go sometimes. So we said... Justin, it feels like Monkey Bone would be a good fit, but the one thing I beg of you, I know this is a big ask, can you please just watch Monkey Bone one time far out in advance of when we do the episode to just make sure that you like it and you multiplied that by seven? Well, I want it. I, the, or make aside, sure that you have anything productive or positive to say about it. You don't have to like it. I wanted to make sure that I liked, I thought that I could make myself like, and I wasn't wrong. <laughs> I developed an affinity for it by watching it enough times that it started to feel comforting. Um, and that, so that worked. My plan worked, okay? My plan worked. Monkey Bone is like a Pavlovian thing for you now. Yeah. I mean, not in the sense that I'll ever watch it again, but like, it, yeah. <laughs> Other than that. You do watch it again, text us. and I will Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'll text you before, during, and after. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Good. Very good. Uh, thank you, Justin. And thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to Joe Bone and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Uh, truly, truly cursed Selleck artwork. At the time we recorded the other Selleck episodes, Bowen's, uh, Pat Reynolds' artwork had not come in. And every time Pat sends us a new miniseries artwork, there's an email that's like, I don't know, guys, I really struggled with this one. I don't know if this is good enough. No hard feelings if you tell me that I need to start over from scratch. And then I feel like my first response is almost always, Jesus, Pat. And he says, that bad? And I go, no, we're using it, obviously. But uh, incredible job on that. Uh, AJ McKeon, Alex Barron, for our editing. Lane Montgomery, The Great American Novel, for our theme song. J.J. Birch, for our research. Monkey Bone does not feel like the easiest film to research, and he went very deep on this one. As he said, he could find no cast interviews from the time this movie was coming out. They did not let anyone talk about this movie when it was coming out. Uh, you can go to blankcheckpod.com. For, uh, links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon blank check special features where we go through franchises. We're doing the National Treasure movies in December. And of course, talking the walk with our buddy, our mutual friend, JD Amato. Tune in next week for Avatar The Way of Water. Monkey Bone, of course, the prelude oh, to woo! Avatar The Way of Water. I see it in two days. I'm so fucking jealous. I have to wait an additional nine days, but Ben and I have already bought our tickets to see it. High frame rate 3D. It's going to rip. And as always, Julie's got a loose caboose. <laughs> <laughs>